I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I am Tom, sometimes scratching my head about some of the implications about all this stuff. Bionic. Yeah, that's probably a pretty good middle name. But uh, it's very, very important. And uh, this week we're going to have a guest that's going to have some important things to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mr. Derek Gilbert is back, the host of the Peering into Darkness uh, and A View from the Bunker radio shows, Mm -hmm. is back talking about uh, some of his research on May Day 2010 and the merging of the religious right and the new apostolic reformation, Signs of the Last Days. Yeah, man. And uh, it's very important for you Christians out here listening to understand there's a something brewing that's afoot that's going to bring in a lot of people who you know and major leaders, and you need to be aware of it and going to have some hard decisions to make about what's mm-hmm. going on in the church. So yeah. with no further ado, here's Brother Derek Gilbert, and we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, not the best voice in crypto or conspiratronics. That was the word I was going for. Yeah. But I know who is, and that is our guest, Bionic. You meant... <laughs> I thought you meant co-host. I was really hoping I was... No, sorry. I man. was just feeling so warm about how you were going to refer to me. The mantle of best ho- best hosting voice in conspiratronics you know, goes our, to our guest. Our guest is tired of just being known for the voice. I, I like the brain... That he no, has, no, I'm not, I'm, his not, ears. I'm not besmirching that yeah. either. It's just, yeah. that's the first thing you hear, and, and I, I everybody, guess, including myself, is impressed. I guess we'd like to maybe learn how to be better uh, host and identify yeah. our guest. This week we have Mr. Derek Gilbert. Yes, Derek Gilbert, the host of the Peering Into Darkness, or PID Radio, and also a View from the Bunker radio shows. Uh, and we're going to be talking about uh, something that he's been bringing to our attention lately, May Day 2010 and the merging of the religious right and the new apostolic reformation, signs of the last days. And uh, I just want to tell you, Brother Derek, it is sure great to have you back again on the Future Quake Show. Mm-hmm. It is an honor to be here. I don't have as much time to listen to other shows as I would like, but the one that I make time to listen to is Future Quake. Oh, is well, that, that right? means a lot. That well, is true. Absolutely true. Well, you're probably very busy taking notes of what not to do on your show. Yeah. <laughs> I know. We've been able to show all of the incorrect things to do. They're uh, trying you, to steal your guest list. Well, <laughs> well the feeling is mutual well, sometimes. And, they'd, and I'm sure they'd like to go on a legitimate radio program, too, so yeah. they, both of you would yeah, be happy. So it's a, yeah, well, symbiosis. if we can think of one between us, we'll let them know. <laughs> uh, and I should also say it was also the wonderful uh, transformational MC of the last day's 2010 conference held here in the yeah. Music City of Nashville, one week prior to the massive apocalyptic deluge. I would submit that, that I would submit that during my talk, uh, during my talk, the the high point of it uh, had nothing to do with what I said, but was the question that Derek Gilbert asked at the end of it. Is that right? Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, he has well, this what, way of making his presence known. Yeah. I don't uh, even remember the question now. What oh, well, well, I got done, and everybody clapped, and you walked up and said, how many people have experienced sleep paralysis? And about between 25 and 40% of the hands went up. Oh, okay. Yeah. That seemed, seemed like a logical thing, because, you know, i one of those people who raised my hands. So. Yeah. And I found your talk to be very, well, that's why you're 
the, this week's guest on View from the Bunker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Must be nice. <laughs> you know, I've never been a guest on View from the Bunker. Well, we'll have to rectify that because your yeah. talk on the use of narcotics on pharmacia uh, as a means of opening portals and opening gates was fascinating and very disturbing. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank you very much. Maybe one day I'll get invited on that show. <laughs> Cons- consider this an invitation <laughs> right, here, right now. He's been rubbing it in my face. Well, before I idle chit-chat, let me just conclude yes. by saying uh, you have formed a bookend to our show here. Uh, you and your lovely wife, Sharon, who we give our regards to uh, right now, were the first guests that we had on our first show with our new gig here at WENO mm-hmm. two years ago. Uh, for our very first guest on, on our on our new setup, and your show uh, that we're recording right now will conclude our second year on WNO. Uh, next week we'll be beginning our third year officially on that. Of course, you know we've been on the air for six years. Mm-hmm. I I think you were like the John the Baptist, uh, your uh, Pid Radio. Oh. You, I believe you all started in March 2005. Is that right? That's correct. And the first future quake ever was on April 5th, 2005. Hmm. So this was just a fantastic year in the history of mankind, uh, 2005, <laughs> that they would commemorate. I would think a month-long festival would be in order uh, for starting that. But with no I, further, I say let's go further and just declare a jubilee. A jubilee. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, particularly the not working part I like. Yeah. Hey, I want to thank you again, particularly for coming back on short notice, because what you've been working on lately, uh, writing and recording on, is so important. I asked you to come because your very important work that you published on the Harkin the Watchman website. And also, uh, you, you covered a, in one, a recent show on your Peering into Darkness radio show, uh, which more people like our listeners here need to be aware of. Now, I know we have a lot of PID radio listeners that also listen to Future Quake, and we're thankful for them. But for those that have not heard the show, uh, we hope to cover that information and then some uh, today. Uh, because it has caused me some really concerns in my recent research uh, for this show. And to begin our discussion about uh, this New Apostolic Reformation, about May Day itself, uh, could you tell us a little bit about this gentleman, C. Peter Wagner, who appears to be the ringleader and the, quote, chief apostle of the participants in this movement? Just give us a little background on him. C. Peter Wagner, um, and, and I have to say, uh, you know, Dr. Future, that I'm right there with you. I'm certainly not an expert on the new apostolic reformation, which is a term that he coined to right. describe this new movement, which in a nutshell, he believes, began in the year 2001 when God lifted up a new generation of capital A apostles. I mean, we're not talking about using it as a term, a complementary term. They're talking about an actual office, a spiritual office that God has recreated in this 21st century to usher in the end times. We're talking apostles of the same order and even greater than the apostles who walked, talked, and learned at the foot of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Really? Peter, James, John, Andrew, uh, Paul, the apostles that uh, have aligned themselves under the umbrella of C. Peter Wagner's organization, the International Coalition of Apostles, are supposed to be uh, equal in stature and authority to those first century apostles. Now, again, I want to state from the beginning that I am by no means an expert on this movement. I'm coming late to this party. Maybe that's why I'm so alarmed by it. But there are some people and some uh, 
who've been following and writing about this movement for years now, who whose work deserves to be better known. Right. Uh, people like Dr. Oral Steinkamp, who mm-hmm. publishes the online uh, an online newsletter called The Plum Line, mm-hmm. uh, has been a an excellent source of information. Sarah Leslie, who publishes uh, of Discernment Ministries, uh, who publishes the online um, blog called Heroscope. You know, not horoscope, mm-hmm. heroscope. Right. You know, tracking mm-hmm. heresies in the church. She and Dr. Steinkamp have been writing about this for quite some time. Um, Holly Pivik, who has the website uh, spiritoferror.org. Uh, these are people who have been watching this, this, this movement for years and have been tracking this. And everything I'm giving you now, I hope, is an accurate distillation of what they've been researching. So this is not my own research, and I'm just praying for the understanding to convey the information accurately and clearly. Uh, Wagner is uh, a gentleman who is turning 80 years old this, uh, this year. So he's been at this uh, a long time. He was a former professor of church growth at Fuller Theological Seminary. And you'll find through your research that a lot of this revolves around Fuller for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, he became convinced through the 80s and 90s through uh, a number of associations, um, notably with John Wimber, who, who began the Vineyard Movement, uh, and all of the bizarre spiritual manifestations that came from the vineyard movement like uh holy ghost laughter and slain in the spirit um the uh you know toronto blessing and you know mm-hmm. that that sort of thing uh they got together and began experimenting in in ways to uh make the supernatural manifest um in, in a like sense i guess sort of a a christian approach sciences the, or? Yeah, yeah sort of a christian approach to the, to the noetic sciences um and a lot of that that work with John Wimber has been incorporated into the the, the doctrine that Wagner has formulated. Uh, in a nutshell, these new apostles and prophets have been lifted up by God to usher in the end times. And those end times look a lot like a one-world government under the control of these apostles and prophets. Uh, let me uh, uh, clarify something uh, what I understood pro, uh, apostles to be, uh, they, they were really the final word here on earth as far as the understanding of what the Christian faith was. Uh, when you read the book of Acts, you read their, you know, their, their, their council in Jerusalem, the acts of the uh, apostles. They, they were the ones who decided the Holy Spirit was really involved in bringing the gospel to the Gentiles and others and that this was an act of God. You know, they, they certified it for the rest of the church. Uh, it, but then, they had that office because they were directly handpicked and taught by Jesus Christ. Then any other apostle that came after them, they personally laid hands on. In other words, a, they call it apostolic succession, where the, the apostles there actually picked a replacement for Judas Iscariot, for example. Right, but you well, notice in the book of Acts, when they chose Matthias as the replacement for Judas Iscariot, Peter said that uh, we should choose someone who, like us, was a witness to these things. In other right. words, we need, we need someone else who was an eyewitness who physically had laid eyes upon Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul, in claiming his right to call himself an apostle, said, you know, am I not an apostle? Did I not see Jesus Christ? You know, last of all, as one unnaturally born. Yeah. Which indicates that Paul was the last one. I think you can uh-huh. make a biblical case that Paul was the last apostle. Right, right. Uh, so I guess the question leads, who was it that was already pre-certified as an apostle uh, that C. Peter Wagner says that 
actually made him an apostle, laid hands on him? Well, that's a really good question, Dr. Future, and I don't have an answer to it. Does he? I honestly don't. He he sits as the presiding apostle of the International Coalition of Apostles. He is, um, by all accounts, a very charming and uh, charismatic man. And Scary. through through his own personal, I mean, not charismatic in the sense of mm-hmm. uh, you know a signs and wonders worker right. like a, like a you know an Oral Roberts or a, a William Branham or somebody like that, but somebody who's got the the people skills to weld together this coalition, which accepts him as their presiding apostle. Well, he also has a vision, and he also speaks with a confidence. Yeah, you know, you can get people to do a lot of things in this world if you speak in a confident voice, whether you're right or wrong. And either way, if you speak with with an air of authority, you will have followers that will follow you. Right. Uh, when you give them a vision, particularly if it's something that sounds pretty spectacular. Yep. And he has those skills. My understanding, some some things that I've read, uh, his big early thing was church growth. He right. was like a professor of church growth. Uh, he learned all sorts of techniques people found inspirational. He was a uh, advisor on the doctoral committee for Rick Warren. Right. He had a real influence with him. Um, he attended church at uh, at Ted Haggard's church in Colorado Springs, uh, New Life. Uh-huh. And, and and I thought he had other involvement with him more directly as well too. If I'm well, he had, he had gone to uh, Colorado Springs at the invitation of uh, of um, Haggard to set up the uh, I believe the the prayer ministry that they'd set up on the campus of the New Life Church. Uh, they, they had a falling out uh, after 2004, uh, before Ted Haggard's fall from grace, uh, and he now attends a church uh, pastored by Dutch Sheets, who's also a name that's very prominently mentioned in the New Apostolic Reformation, this New Apostolic Movement. But you could buy uh, those like at Target. Dutch Sheets. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like a... Yes. You got me. Yeah. Oh, but he, he's, a, he's a name we'll come back to again because he was very right. prominently, he played a very prominent role at May Day 2010. But th- through Wagner, you have this connection to, again, some of the most prominent evangelicals in America of the last 10 years. I mean, Ted Haggard, as we remember, before he was disgraced, was the president of the National Association of Evangelicals. His affiliation with Wagner and these signs and wonders uh, charismatics is not so well known. Um, but it is one channel through which Wagner's influence has made it into mainstream evangelical Christianity. His influence with Warren, don't know what it is directly, but he was his advisor as a Warren prepared his doctoral thesis at Fuller Theological Seminary. I think the church growth side of things is where he had his real impact on Rick Warren. But, you know, you, you think about Haggard. He was the head of, what, the National Association of Evangelicals? Yes. Which has a lot of very, quote, mainstream groups. So evidently... He had learned how to toe the line mm-hmm. on how to keep this fragile coalition of the of the more charismatic signs and wonders people, as well as your your rank and file evangelicals together too, uh, which is very important as the story continues for the people of this movement. Very true, because the the movement isn't based, as we'll see, on a a, a firm biblical foundation. Uh, there there's no real biblical support for the idea that in the last days we'll see uh, these new prophets and apostles with first century powers and authority uh, rising up. Mm -hmm. Uh, And many of the the more notable names in this movement, uh, such as Rick Joyner and, uh, you know, Todd Bentley, for example, are 
claiming visions and uh, revelations. Uh, Chuck Pierce is another uh, revelations from God that are clearly unbiblical, but that's part of their teaching that these new mm-hmm. revelations uh, supplant and uh, and uh, supplement and supersede uh, biblical authority. And they although say, they might not say so right. uh, in so many words, but they, they will they will uh, claim that these revelations are uh, of God and, and thus carry the weight. Uh, of his authority, which means it's been elevated to the same level as Scripture. And if it's a newer revelation, well, God is doing a new thing. So uh, so how do you keep a movement together that is essentially making up its theology on the fly? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, they give their apostles, obviously, a lot of latitude. And I, I think they have a very creative reading of Scripture to, to make it not contradict it. But they feel like... Anything's carte blanche as far as writing something new or supplemental on what's going on. Um, but, I, but I want to talk a little bit more about the movement itself and some mm-hmm. of the central tenets of the New Apostolic Movement, uh, about its origin, some, some of its key features. Now, my understanding, it also ties to some movements. Uh, and actually, was sort of renamed for some things that actually got some bad press and were repackaged like the Latter Rain, uh, right. Joel's Army, which I think they had talked about actually creating a new seed out of the young mm-hmm. people. Uh, then they evolved into a group known as the Kansas City Prophets. Uh, in fact, I've read they would even go so far as if people would criticize their work, they would put curses uh, on them. The, the, yeah, the phrase that they like to use is, touch not the Lord's anointed, uh, which is a uh, misreading of Old Testament uh, scripture, uh, which uh, verse I don't have in front of me, but I, I discussed this in the interview that I did with Holly Pivick of uh, spiritoferror.org, uh, and she's written an article about it at her website. Um, the, the That argument holds that if this apostle has the Lord's anointing and is speaking the word of God, then we who are saying, you know, this doesn't fit with what we read in the Bible. I mean, this sounds like a different gospel to me, and the Apostle Paul said that if anyone comes with a different gospel, even if it's an angel, they should be eternally cursed, anathema. And uh, the response from these uh, uh, new apostles is uh, that we're not to touch the Lord's anointed. Well, if you read uh, your Bible cover to cover and read it in context, you see that all of us who claim the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, are the Lord's anointed. So, I'm sorry, that doesn't get you off the hook for deviating from uh, sound biblical doctrine. But this, this, whole, this whole movement is based on errant teaching. It's based on new revelation given to those who claim a special, uh, a special gift from the Lord. Uh, a lot of it is traced back to uh, William Branham, who I mentioned earlier, right. uh, who uh, came from Kentucky. He was... Um, raised in southern Indiana, close to Louisville, uh, just across the river, and uh, began a movement, um, a healing ministry, that was uh, that, that is now termed the Latter Rain Movement, um, which he believed was going to usher in the, uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, the teaching was denounced by the Assemblies of God in 1953. They said it was heretical, it was not biblical, and so it basically went underground and managed to resurface in the uh, in the 1980s, with the Kansas City Prophets you mentioned, uh, those fellows, some of the names um, associated with that group include uh, uh, Mike Bickle, um, Rick Joyner, Paul Kane, who was connected with uh, William Branham's um, 
latter rain movement in the 1940s and early 50s. Uh, James Gall, John Paul Jackson, Bill Heyman, and uh, Lou Engel, who, hmm. in my research and just my interpretation of what's been happening politically over the last couple of years, appears to be the linchpin mm-hmm. connecting the new apostolic reformation with conservative, well, conservative in air quotes, uh, conservative right. American politics. Well, I want to talk about him specifically here in just a moment, but I want to mention to our listeners, if um, particularly from the more uh, mainstream evangelical groups, uh, we've got people in downtown National that may be uh, leaving home from work at Lifeway Bookstores or Southern Baptist Convention, United Methodist. A lot of these names may not ring a bell with you, uh, but if you find you go into the bookstores at Lifeway, you'll see more and more books from these people appearing on mm-hmm. the bookshelves. And uh, you all need to be aware of it. You need to listen to the rest of this mm-hmm. show uh, because they're coming to you. Uh, you can no longer ignore what's going on. It's going to be touching you uh, directly uh, with with what we're going to be talking about here. You know, one of the techniques that, that I was reading about that they use uh, are called shepherding techniques. Mm-hmm. And even uh, one of the references I read talked about an Amway-type approach to small group hierarchies that they set up. Can you Can you talk a little bit about what you know about that, about how that helps their movement to grow? Well, again, I'm only very brief, very... Uh just have a very brief uh, familiarity with it. Uh, and again, just from the, the reading I've been doing in the last couple of weeks to try to catch up on, on this movement. So again, I wouldn't take this necessarily as authoritative, but uh, my understanding is that uh, many of these churches in this uh, uh, apostolic prophetic movement are, are set up essentially like a, uh, a multi-level marketing mm-hmm. scheme where you've got a, a home church and then uh Within the church, you've got small groups. Now, small group Bible study, uh, you know, we're not, I'm certainly not, not casting any aspersions on, on that type of get-together. Uh, but the, the idea of getting people together in small groups or cells, uh, which, by the way, is also a concept used in the purpose-driven churches, mm-hmm. is essentially a means of control. It's easier to control people. When they uh, they can't be a, just a face in the crowd, you know, in in the big auditorium. When you're among a small group, a relatively small group of people, it's easier for a uh, a, a dynamic group leader to kind of cajole and and lead and and bully, if necessary, uh, people to stay in line and remain obedient. To the apostle, which is what it's all about. Well, yeah. In fact, under like the go go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I just want to comment briefly on that. Um, I I know of a pastor who had come, who had been briefly under something of the shepherding movement when he was a young believer, and and basically he said it was so authoritative that that the the shepherd, pastor shepherd, whoever it might be, had the authority over who you married, could tell you who who you wouldn't be allowed to marry, Um, basically any other major decisions in your life. They believe that the Bible taught that the shepherd had that kind of authority over your personal lives. And I think that's the key. I mean, you know, there's a lot of wonderful churches that have small groups, but mm-hmm. it's the authoritative control is the key. Right. Uh, and, and when I started reading uh, some references that talked about it sort of like an Amway type downstream where everything went up to the top, mm-hmm. the central headquarters, this made me think about a lot of our mega churches. 
which now are not spinning off individual churches as separate church plants that are that are independent, particularly after they get on their feet, you know, financially, but that they actually keep them all stuck underneath the central mother church where right. their campus is. And so a lot of times they'll just be showing videos of the pastor of the home church or but 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 they keep this control that used to be spun off and decentralized. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what, that is a good explanation. It is the Amway downstream model mm-hmm. because the funds all go up to the top church and then are dispersed as needed by the central group at the top. Right. And and I started thinking that I believe that guy's name was Mr. Uh, DeVos, I believe. Uh, yeah. uh, that was the uh, founder of Amway, mm-hmm. who actually was very, very influential in groups like the Council of National Policy, right. uh, founding it, and I'm sure had a lot of influence on, on, you know, because he's a very inspirational speaker himself in finding on how to organize people, how to have a happy downstream and that kind of thing. So I'm not shocked to find that some of that thinking percolated into spiritual circles as well. Right, and that that is uh, in, in a nutshell, and. and you know, lest people think that we're, we're making something out of nothing. I mean, the, the point is that questions like the ones we're asking about the doctrines that are being taught in these churches would not be tolerated. And these doctrines and how these doctrines are being mainstreamed into the American political scene are really where the danger lies. Because as I see it, it's those doctrines and these teachings that the followers within this movement are strongly discouraged from questioning or, or may not even be revealed totally. I was doing some looking over the weekend at uh, some of the websites of churches that are in this movement, and it's kind of hard to find a doctrinal statement on some of those the, those church websites. Uh, those doctrines are going to lead well-meaning professing Christians into helping to set up the one-world government and one-world religion that I believe is described in prophecy mm-hmm. and of course uh bereans would not really feel welcome in that kind of environment to independently search the scripture themselves and that's probably why a lot of these statements of faith and other things are not there because it provides an air of independent thinking that could provide a challenge to the accepted order there right we're back at future quake with dr future and tom still scratching my head probably even a little bit harder bionic well, it's going to take us time uh, over this week to lay out all the different facets, at least, of the research that Brother Derek's done and that, you know, I've started looking at and others, you know, like yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, laying out this whole thing about apostolic authority that they've decided to initiate themselves. Yeah. It's and like, there's no external, external hand me authenticity. Hand that glass of water. I'm baptizing myself. Oh, I'm, <laughs> signs and wonders came upon me and I blew... That's some really deep uh, theological teaching there. The, I blessed the spirit right out of you. It fired out of your belly and rolled down the aisle and up into the back seat. It sounds like something's come over you, Tom. I, no, uh, that's an actual that's I, actual teaching from I, I one know, of the people purviewed here in this. I know your mind's sort of blown by all this, yeah. but um, this is something that's going to impact all of us, including the shepherding idea. They're going to try to bring it to a church near you. Uh, somebody else we can bring to you is Merv. We can tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. 
Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to go. Let's get out of here. Come back. Catch every segment of this interview with Brother Derek Gilbert. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, most definitely not part of the new apostolic movement because I didn't baptize myself into the Holy Spirit bionic. It sure sounded like you were at the end of the last show. That's coming at you. I think the faith came on, man. I I shouldn't have brought that up. Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back with you again. This uh, week we have as our special guest Derek Gilbert, who is the host of the Peering into Darkness or PID Radio and a View from the Bunker radio shows. And we're talking about his research on May Day 2010, the event that just occurred, and the emerging of the religious right and the new apostolic reformation, uh, signs of the last days. Mm-hmm. And uh, we learned a lot yesterday about the rise of these key influential figures in the apostolic movement, their hierarchical control, uh, shepherding, and very strong-arm techniques. And you're going to learn more about the political figures involved, so we need to go to that. Let's go. Okay, here's uh, Brother Derek Gilbert, and we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Can we move uh, on and discuss uh, this uh, Lou Engel that you mentioned? Uh, my understanding, he has a ministry called The Call, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't want to steal the thunder. Why don't you share a little bit about some of the unique traits about him and his role in all this? Well, Lou Engel was... Um discovered by another leading light in the New Apostolic Reformation some years back, a fellow named Shay Ahn, uh, who pastors a church out in California, uh, found Lou um, mowing lawns and discerned that Lou had a prophetic gift and so hired him uh, to serve in uh, uh, Pastor Ahn's church as, um, well, a prophet. His, basically, his job was to just uh, you know fast and pray, basically. Um, Engel has been um, w- was associated with the Kansas City Prophets, uh, the group that uh, surrounded the uh, the church there, pastored by Mike Bickle. Uh, he has now uh, developed a, a very successful ministry of his own called the Call. Essentially, it is a um, uh, a very uh, edgy uh, type of uh, uh, you know prayer warfare that they promote especially to youth groups around the country to draw them together into big uh, stadia. Uh, they, they did it in Nashville, as you know, on 7-7 of 07. Now, if uh, I could mention, he, he, he cited a prophecy that was given that mm-hmm. the Oilers would move to Nashville yeah, uh, and build a, a, a stadium so they could use it for this, right? I, exactly. A fellow named Bob Jones, not to be confused with the Bob Jones of Bob Jones University in uh, Greenville, South Carolina, mm-hmm. uh, but a, a Bob Jones, who's another elder among this new apostolic reformation, uh, claimed that he said in 2003 or thereabouts that um, the Oilers would move to this you know stadium in Nashville so that Lou Engel could, could host the call. You know, um, isn't it ironic that the team would be named after the Nephilim now? Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. I wondered, you know, what's the connection between Tennessee and the Titans anyway? 
Yeah, well, you know, we've often thought the abyss might be here. We have the yeah. largest uh, idol in the Western world uh, downtown, mm-hmm. so it would make only sense we'd have Nephilim playing on our team. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's our Nashville connection, but there's much more about him in there. And, and like well, you said, a, a touch even with the political world. Well, he's he's held a number of these events around the country. He held one at uh, in Washington, D.C. in August of 2008. He held another event at uh, Qualcomm Stadium in 2008, September of 2008, which was uh, – a pro Proposition 8 rally. Uh, Proposition 8, of course, was the um, uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, referendum for voters of California to affirm that marriage is the union of one man and one woman. Um, now, I, I, I'll be honest. Up until being made aware of the May Day event this year, I, I paid very little attention to Lou Engel, to Rick Joyner, to C. Peter Wagner, or any of these signs and wonders types, just because I thought these were a fringe of American Christianity. I thought these guys were the pro-wrestling of Christianity, that nobody could really take these guys seriously because they were just so far out there. And we've really not scratched the surface of of some of the the more bizarre elements of this movement that's endorsed by the the leading elements of this movement. Um, The call uh, drew about... uh, I forget what the, the count was in Washington, D.C. I think it was you know about 10,000 to the National Mall mm-hmm. in Washington, D.C. Uh, but what struck me when I wrote about this uh, about a year and a half ago at my blog was that uh, some of the people who spoke at this event were mainstream Republican politicians and mainstream evangelical Christians. At the, uh, the call in D.C., uh, pre- former presidential candidates Mike Huckabee and Gary Bauer, former president of the Family Research Council, were speakers there. Tony mm-hmm. Perkins, the current president of the Family Research Council, was there. Um, they had some very well-known musicians like Michael W. Smith and Ricky Skaggs who attended. They also had a number of the leaders among the New Apostolic Reformation, like Rick Joyner, Dutch Sheets, Chuck Pierce, Cindy and Mike Jacobs, uh, and so forth. They they were members not only of the event but uh, of the advisory council for the call. Now, people, when I wrote about that, asked me. And again, I, I will say loud and clear that I had no clue that it was that as deep as it appears to be at the time mm-hmm. that I wrote this. And this was in uh, this was in August of 2008. Um, what's wrong with getting a bunch of young people together to pray against the sin of abortion and to pray right. for our nation? And again, at the time, I didn't really have a a firm answer other than well, it's mixing church and state, and it's. You know, mm-hmm, he, he right. believes in in the Joel's army concept, and I'll talk about that more in a few minutes. Um, after May Day, I, I began doing a little more research on this and found that uh, not only was uh, were several mainstream evangelicals involved with the call in D.C., then the following month at the call in San Diego, one of the main speakers was Dr. James Dobson, mm-hmm. uh, along with some other you know rep, you know respected evangelicals uh, and uh, again others connected to the New Apostolic Reformation. I thought, now, this is interesting. I didn't know that Dr. Dobson had been in San Diego, even though I wrote about a very similar event promoted by Lou Engel mm-hmm. a month earlier. I didn't pay attention to it. I totally slipped by. But when it was pointed out that Dr. Dobson was endorsing May Day 2010, I thought, now, wait a minute. This is really getting a little deeper. These associations are longer lasting than right. I thought they were going to be. They just incidentally didn't share a stage. Right. Much right. more than that. Mm-hmm. 
So anyway, Engels seems to be having some success in drawing uh, not just mainstream evangelicals, but also political figures into this uh, into this movement. Uh, he was the pastor at an event that took place in December, uh, where a a number of uh, pastors and volunteers got together to pray for uh, the United States Senate to vote against the health care reform bill. And, and this is important for a couple of reasons. First of all, the two senators who were there uh, at this event were uh, Senator Brownback of Kansas and uh, Senator DeMint of uh, South Carolina. Now, Senator DeMint is one of the guys who lives in the C Street house right. in Washington, mm-hmm. D.C., which is owned by the secretive evangelical group called The, the Family. And funded by uh, uh, our, our friend Paul M. Temple, who also is the the senior director of the Institute yes. of Noetic Sciences. Co-founder with Edgar Mitchell, right. Mm-hmm. Um, the C Street House is also owned by Youth with a Mission, mm-hmm. whose founder, Lauren Cunningham, is the guy, well, one of the guys, one of the two men, who came up with the concept of these seven mountains of influence that we need to retake in the name of Jesus Christ before Jesus Christ can or will return. Mm-hmm. So now, now I want to clarify here on Lou Engel. I don't mean to get ahead of you, um, but now as far as his political background, unless I missed you saying this, actually Mike Huckabee and uh, Newt Gingrich had them lay hands on them, just sort right. of transfer blessing, for, you know, apostolic blessing. Yeah, this was an event that took place at the Rock Church in Virginia uh, in 2009, and, okay. and again, Eng- uh, Engel, when, when you watch him pray, I mean, he's He's a raspy-voiced fella who looks like he could be a, a a football coach. He looks a little bit like you know Bill Cower, you know, from right. the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, mm. and he's got that kind of raspy voice, like he's been yelling at his players all mm-hmm. day long. But it, it's clearly because he's so fervent in his prayer. But when you watch him pray, and this is a common element among the the the, the figures that the uh, in this new apostolic reformation, he can't stand still. He rocks back and forth constantly, almost. Um, uh, uh, subconsciously, while he's talking, uh, almost as though something else is is going on inside him there, guiding and controlling his actions. Now, right. uh, you know, I'm not going to go so far as to say that that something right. else is actually manifesting while he's while he's while he's praying, but but this sort of behavior, these sorts of odd physical um, ticks and twitches, is a very common element. Uh, among the pastors and leaders in this new apostolic reformation, because apparently they believe that this shows how much the Holy Spirit is manifesting uh, through mm-hmm. them while they're praying or preaching or or right. worshiping. But now, uh, Mike, now, kick. My, uh, <laughs> my, Mike Huckabee is a Southern Baptist pastor. Yes, his pastor church for extensive period of time, extremely popular in the evangelical community, and. Uh, uh, you know, Newt Gingrich is actually well known in New Age circles. They have very strong New Age credentials. Mm-hmm. So both of them sought the the uh, they, they first of all respected spiritually the mm-hmm. apostolic uh, power or or credibility authority that was given for them to receive this, and and these apostolic leaders somehow felt like anointing them. That they were sort of adding them as an extension of what they're doing, correct? Yeah. So for, from both directions, it is a willful association that's going on. 
Well, I think what you're seeing are, are parallel tracks that are eventually going to converge because they're aiming for the same goal, or if you will, the two sides of a, uh, of a Hegelian dialectic. Um, stepping back for a moment, because we've really not gotten to the, the, the heart of the theology behind this new apostolic reformation, and that's really the key here. The seven mountains mandate, or d- dominionism uh, in a nutshell, these people believe they're on a mission from God to take over the planet. They believe that uh, these seven mountains, and uh, I just the other night watched a uh, leadership seminar conducted by C. Peter Wagner that was broadcast live on God TV back in February of this year, in which he teaches what he calls the 7M mandate, and the M's are mountains. Uh, there are seven mountains of culture that we Christians need to reclaim in Jesus' name so that he can or or will return. Now, uh, the, the seven mountains are uh, the mountains of arts and entertainment, business, education, family, government, media, and religion. Uh, this is not scriptural. It's not in the Bible any place. It was... Um, it was a revelation well, given it, it was a to revelation, Bill Bright, yeah. Mr. Cunningham, in 75, correct? Right. Bill, Bill Bright, who founded Campus Crusade, and Lauren Cunningham, who founded Youth with a Mission, at a lunch meeting in 75, came up with these seven mountains. Uh, they claimed confirmation because they heard um, Francis Schaeffer give a sermon a week or two later in which he made some reference that sounded something like this. Uh, but I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know that Schaeffer ever actually uh, approved of or sanctioned the, the Seven Mountains teaching. Um, but this is very prominent in, in Dominionist churches and Dominionist circles. The New Apostolic Reformation believes that these apostles and prophets have been put here on earth uh, to uh, undertake the task of reclaiming the planet. Uh, dominion was lost in the garden, according to the New Apostolic Reformation. Dominionists believe that Satan tricked Adam and Eve into giving up dominion over the planet. I mean, God said, you know, go forth and take dominion of the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, etc. and so on. Uh, and we lost it. And God lost it. And he needs us now in this new age, and I use that phrase purposely, to go forth and reclaim the planet on his behalf. And we need to retake those seven mountains, arts and entertainment, business, education, family, government, media, and religion, and put it under the authority of the apostles who will rule in God's name until Jesus returns. Now again, this is not that's scriptural. Crazy talk, man. That's well, it like sounds crazy it talk. sounds crazy, and that's why I never paid much attention to these guys. When I saw that they were holding this called DC back in August of 2008, I thought, well, this is a an interesting diversion. I'll write a piece about this only because I see Mike Huckabee's out there and Tony Perkins is out there. But then when Dr. Dobson appeared on stage with Engel in uh, in San Diego, and then when the May Day 2010 event came up, and then you know, Dr. Future, with the information you supplied, and, I, and I, I'll say again, I'm coming late to this party, so I am not up to speed. Well, on, and on we're behind this, you on that. That um, the, the May Day 2010 event, which, uh, by the way, just as an aside, you'd think that some, one of these Christian leaders would have pointed out that, you know what, we're having a sunrise worship service at a replica of a pagan temple, you know, on the grounds of the world's largest obelisk, on Beltane, which is a Wiccan Sabbat, you know, Wic- uh, mm-hmm. Wiccan holiday. Uh, apparently that didn't cross anyone's mind. Uh, but they actually broke the seven hours of prayer at May Day 2010. They had seven hours of prayer, one devoted to each of these seven mountains of culture or seven centers of power that we need to reclaim. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, Dr. Dobson was a part of this, as were a number of other prominent evangelical leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, Can I clarify something on this? Uh, it's one thing, I, you know, I, I've read a little bit of Francis Schaeffer and I've been always fascinated by his work. And my, my understanding was he always said we should be engaged in the mm-hmm. culture. We should we should show up. In other words, not just write all off and disappear. We should let our voices be heard alongside, let our testimonies go out as expressed, you know, in these different areas of our culture. Uh, so people are aware of it, can be challenged by the words mm-hmm. of God. That is a d- very different thing in saying we're going to take them over and dominate them. Right. And be able to create an environment where only our voice, because you see, it's not just a threat to people who aren't Christians. It is a threat to people who maybe don't see small details the way they do. Right. Uh, fellow Christians are, are equally threatened. So that's why this is a big point. It's not that they don't want to have Christian influence in the culture. They want to take it over. And, exactly. and they're, they're very clear about that. And I'll also mention, too, that if you want to find a buzzword, if you want a little litmus test to see who, who's really going down the dominionist line uh, amongst our, our main Christian leaders, listen how often they'll say something like, uh, you remember what they said, occupy until I come. Mm-hmm. That, is, that a is a calling that, card. That's a little calling yeah. card because they believe, you know, taking one parable, a parable about, uh, you know, a financial management dealing in a, in a parable, and they, they make a theology out of it to say that Jesus is saying that we should be an occupying army, uh, much like, I guess, like our army in Iraq is. And maybe that's why they feel so so good about occupying armies in different parts of the world is because that's what they want to be. They they want to be an occupying army like like our physical army is overseas, and they want to do it through the whole world uh, to impose instead of imposing democracy, they're imposing a religious worldview. Yeah, but they believe they've got a a mandate from God to do it. This seven mountains mandate or seven M mandate. Uh, and, and that's what is be, that was what was promoted at this May Day 2010 event. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and again, and again, when I saw the names connected to it, you know, Dr. Dobson, Reverend Paul Blair, who took over the ministry Reclaiming America for Christ from uh, the late uh, Reverend D. James Kennedy, uh, Tim Wildman of the American Family Association, Wendy Wright, Concerned Women for America, uh, Dr. Jerome Corsi. I know you've right. interviewed him, and I interviewed sure. him as well. Yeah, sure. Uh, a, a a good a good man. Um, well, let me mention a few more people on, on some of these collateral things. You mentioned Lou Engel. Uh, Sam Brownback uh, has been involved in some of these things. Like the, uh, Lou Engel led the Family Research Council prayer cast against health care reform. Right, right. Which, you know, I never thought health care reform was the number one call that Jesus put us to to fight in the battle. But not, not that it's not important. But you've got Jim DeMint, Michelle Bachman uh, mm-hmm. involved in this. You've got, uh, and one thing I found interesting is that uh, one of these meetings uh, with the, with the uh, one of the apostles was at the Transformation Summit in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, I believe. Mm-hmm. Right. And is that the place that was the the founding of the Rosicrucian movement in the U.S. that they uh, formed the first uh, sort of occult um, little group? I think in Chris Pinto's documentaries you'll actually see that place mentioned. It was a Rosicrucian wow. occult order that was first founded. At that particular place, a little small village. Just curious that that would be there. But Rick Santorum uh, has aligned himself with them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, now leading up to the discussion of this whole the, the May Day conference we're sort of crescendoing to, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have happened without someone's leadership, and it was actually a woman's leadership. Right. A woman by the name of Janet Porter, formerly known mm-hmm. as Janet Folger, who who 
she pops up all the time, uh, sort of making her presence known in things of conservative, most, you know, conservative, first of all, and then Christian uh, activities. How did she get involved in this group? Or how, how are you aware of that? Well, she, she hosts a ministry called Faith to Action. And, uh, you know, I should mention, by the way, that this May Day event uh, only drew uh, a few hundred people. Uh, they were they were hoping for about 8,000, and they only drew a few hundred to Washington, D.C. for the event. And so a lot of um, skeptics, and sadly, uh, most of the attention that's paid to the Dominionist movement is coming from uh, skeptics and uh, progressives who mm-hmm. think that all Christians believe the way that these Dominionists and these new apostles do. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, her ministry called Faith to Action, uh, and, you know, again, coming late to the party, not really familiar with uh, Janet Porter other than I, I knew that she hosted a, a radio program that was carried on a number of uh, Christian radio stations around the country uh, and that she writes a regular column for WorldNet Daily. Uh, of course, uh, publisher Joseph Farah is a member of the Council for National Policy. Uh, she pulled us together, and I, I believe, I, in fact, reading a response, well, now, let me back up just a step here. One of the networks that carries her radio program, Faith to Action, is called VCY America. Mm-hmm. And VCY America uh, dropped her program uh, after carrying it for a couple of years. They dropped it this past Monday, would be May the, uh, uh, May the 3rd, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, because of the theological direction she had taken in aligning herself with uh, Dominionism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, but prior to her own ministry, she um, was the national director of the Center for Reclaiming America out of Coral Ridge, uh, Florida. And, you know, Dr. Kennedy was, uh, whether he knew it or not, a willing participant in this Dominionist movement. This, this belief that our correct response for Christians to the, the, the disturbing spiritual problems that we see around us in the country uh, is uh, to to mobilize politically and to win win the and win the culture war that's the term they use which means exactly right it's a coercive by by calling it a war like that they mean not not to make a voice heard not to make a perspective available it means to coercively bring their particular view over the wills of other people right now uh, Ms. Porter, in, in her response to being dropped from the VCA, VCY American Network, um, relates a, a story uh, of her first meeting with, with Dr. Kennedy. Uh, and she said that uh, when he offered her the, the job as national director of the Center for Reclaiming America, she said that uh, uh, she told him that he shouldn't hire her because they didn't agree on everything. For example, she said I, uh, that she wasn't a five-point Calvinist like Dr. Mm-hmm. Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Dr. Kennedy's response was, uh, Janet, we agree on the main things, and he hired her anyway. And I think that gets to the heart of this strange alliance, this unholy alliance that we see developing between respected mainstream evangelicals and these doctrinally uh, errant new apostles and dominionists. We agree on the main things. Well, what are the main things they agree on? They agree that they all hate Barack Obama. It's like American Christians have decided that Barack Obama is a greater threat than Satan. Yeah, I know. I hear I run into that with people all the time. They're saying Barack Obama's the Antichrist, you know. Well, and I, I think in the broader conservative religious conservative culture that's true, but I think it runs deeper with these guys. 
Uh, Obama is only the enemy du jour right now. There is a long-term, it's not necessarily who they're getting rid of, it's putting themselves in proper position that of authority. Is ex that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because Barack Obama has only provided the impetus needed to pull this coalition together. They, they've been angling for this for quite some time. Again, this, uh, uh, this association between mainstream evangelicals and new apostles isn't new. Uh, you know, Ted Haggard and C. Peter Wagner had a long relationship mm -hmm. that, you know, uh, that dated back to, uh, you know, 10 years. Uh, Wagner and, and Rick Warren and so forth. So it's not like it's new. It's just that the election of Barack Obama has so galvanized the opposition, conservative Christians in particular, that we're overlooking the theological differences that should divide us and say, you know what, that doesn't matter because we agree on the main things. Mm -hmm. And we're not noticing the fact that these people who are getting up on stage at uh, May Day 2010, these people who are speaking at a, a rally that took place uh, a couple of weeks before May Day called The Awakening, which was held at Liberty University. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to yeah, we're going to talk about all that, too. Just focus on that, too, in the second the money, half. Money sure. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, just a, a number of events where you're seeing these these uh, new apostles, these dominionists with their seven mountain mandate. Uh, getting together with well-meaning conservative Christians who are understandably and rightfully concerned about the spiritual and moral direction of our country. Well, I think I think there's a, a precedent here, a, a model that they're following, like you said, about not really getting into the details. And, you know, it, when there are civil matters in America, w there are times when we need to set certain things aside for civil issues, not spiritual but we need to, to separate the sacred and the profane. You know, I don't I don't care what religious practice my garbage man has. Okay, we just got to pick up the garbage. Right. But that's not a religious issue. That's something that's civil that has to be taken care of the community. But what I'm thinking is is that one reason why they're not that concerned right now is you look at the groups that came together, for example, to overthrow the Tsar in Russia. Okay, you had some diverse groups that had they didn't have the same ideologies or beliefs, but they all agreed that they hated the Tsar. Okay, and and you look at the communists and the people who bankrolled, including some of the bankers here in the West. They figured, hey, we don't have to thrash all that stuff now, but until we get rid of the czar, then who's ever got the stronger hand will be able to impose their force to come out to the top mm -hmm. after we've got rid of the big enemy. Right. And I think with a lot of these groups, they don't see now as the time to mm -hmm. to totally enforce some of these minutia. Uh, they need to use these other people to help them overthrow and get into a position of power. And then they, from a position of authority, will be able to winnow out the people who helped them get where they are, but sort of fall out of the bounds where they are. I, I presume that's the model that they're working from. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, I wish I could get hired as a prophet by Alec. You really? Yeah. No, not really. I don't know what kind of money there is in it. Probably pretty know. good. Probably. a lot for Lou Angle, apparently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lots of conferences. Yeah. Lots of speaking things. What do you think about these... Uh, political figures who are aligning themselves with it like you know guys like huckabee a baptist minister having hands laid on him anointing him from this apostle well i think there's probably many layers of what's going on and people just don't see the 
the foolishness of it. And they just were like, well, well you know, it's a good cause. I'll go. And then they go there and they're like, this is a little weird. And I think it's worse than foolishness. It shows that uh, ignorance. they have no discernment. Yeah. You know, you'd be putting life and death decisions in their hand. Mm. And they're going with these people who are self-appointed apostles doing this. And basically they're coming under their influence. Mm-hmm. Spiritual or otherwise, they're coming under their influence. Yes. Someone else who can influence you is Merv who can tell you how to contact Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. we got to go. All right. I know our times are short here, but come back tomorrow for our next segment with Derek Gilbert. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, scratching my head about the Seven Mountains, Bionic. Yeah, I know, but um, they're there, they're being pursued, mm-hmm. and we have to be aware of it. Yeah. And I just want to tell our listeners, uh, well, first of all, let me just say we're talking this week with uh, Derek Gilbert, who is the host of the Peering into Darkness radio show, as well as the View from the Bunker uh, radio show. And we're talking about his research on May Day 2010, the recent event. And the merging of the religious right and the new apostolic reformation, signs of the last days. And uh, this was, was an event uh, organized by Janet Porter, a religious broadcaster and activist. And um, I just want to want you to know we should be praying for her, praying for her wisdom and discernment. I believe she loves the Lord, and um, just pray that she has discernment, her and others with her. Mm-hmm. And uh, with no further ado, here's Brother Derek Gilbert, and we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Well, I agree. The enemy of my enemy is my friend appears to be the uh, the the the, uh, the the guiding philosophy here. But it's temporary. And, yeah, and for the new apostles and those with this seven M mandate, you know, those with a clear goal of where they're headed, uh, you know, this doesn't end until they actually reconquer the planet and put it under the control of these new apostles. And an interesting picture of what this will look like was given by one of the leading. New Apostles. And by the way, you can find a lot of what these people write um, at a website called the Elijah List, where uh, you get, you know, like fresh prophecy direct from the Lord daily. And if you want them delivered directly to your email um, without the ads, it's only four ninety nine a month. Oh. It's, yeah. Um, it, but Rick Joyner, who runs a ministry called Morningstar Ministries in uh, South Carolina, uh, posted a... Uh, a word from the Lord back in 2007 in which he described what this kingdom that these dominionists are looking for will look like. Okay, And earth reclaimed from Satan in Jesus' name. And I'm quoting now. At first it may seem like totalitarianism as the Lord will destroy the Antichrist spirit now dominating the world with the sword of his mouth and will shatter many nations like pottery. Instead of taking away liberties and becoming more domineering, the kingdom of God will move from a point of necessary control 
while people are learning truth, integrity, honor, and how to make decisions to increasing liberty so that they can. End quote. Mm-hmm. Necessary control. And the apostles will be the ones calling and the, the shots. And the apostles will be the ones calling the shots. You know, necessary control sounds like a phrase that uh, King James might have used to throw Puritans in jail. <laughs> this whole thing sounds like some type of like insane, unholy smear campaign on what I understand Christianity to be. But it's, it's totally weird. But it's but it's real, and the plan is coming forward. I I, I want to mention to our listeners that um, we're talking this this week, and it happens occasionally, about some other people who uh, say that they are the household of faith and proclaim Christ, and we do that with great uh, trepidation. Uh, we prayed before this show began that the Lord would give us wisdom and that we would not speak unfactually about people who claim to be brothers and sisters in the Lord. And heaven help us if we do that. And if we need to be reproved or adjusted on things we say, not only they're factually wrong, but but mislead uh, or, or misunderstood, we we willing to go into that subjection ourselves from the Lord Amen. And, and from the truth. Uh, we're just talking about what we know. And I, I want to sort of give an opinion here, and this is an opinion. Uh, I recollect having invited some time ago, long ago, Janet Porter to, to come on our show, along with Janet Parshall, uh, and have not had a follow-up from them uh, in that invitation. And they're always welcome to come on and talk uh, in a cordial spirit to give their understanding of where they are. But but my sense, and this is only my opinion, is that Miss Porter, who who actually was single for most of her work in this area until not too long ago, um, always seemed like she was so, somewhat in the shadow of of people like Janet Parshall and others who had a more prominent role in Christian talk radio. And was really trying to find a unique place. It just seemed in her writing, she was always in a very, very strong position, whether it's battling, you know, for the unborn, which I applaud her for. Yes. Uh, she fought very strongly on the homosexual agenda, but extremely strong, which always sort of a, more of a bulldog kind of approach. In some ways, uh, you can applaud her faithfulness and her, and her single-minded devotion, but, but also it, it was always a warlike, uh, very simplistic kind of view of issues. Uh, not as much contemplation uh, on, on issues and things like that. And I guess so there's all kinds. Circumspectly. Well, there's all there's room for all kinds in the kingdom, you know, in our roles. But I I, I sense this is a natural progression uh, of her beliefs in that her her very extreme black and white view uh, of only certain ways to view certain things in scripture. Uh, that this naturally feeds that, the dominionist approach. She's always been very clear in feeling that Christians need to really take over reins of government and other kind of things. So dominionism is the next step for her. But also, I, I think she's had a desire to be a leader uh, for a long time in this, and it's been somewhat in the shadow of other leaders. And this was her moment to shine, particularly mm-hmm. with May Day. Now, I might be unfairly wrong, but I, I really th- see that's what's going on with her. And I know she's probably very disappointed that things didn't take off like they did. But she's got to be impressed that through her association with these people, she's now able to call on high-level government officials, uh, the top evangelical leaders, and on a moment's notice they come mm-hmm. to be a part of these the, these events, even if they're not successful, uh, you know, in terms of turnout and things like that. Obviously, she's having a lot of impact on being able to call and make things happen like this. The question is, are there going to be more groups like BCY who take a second look? And could this be something that eventually splits the church when people are confronted with where they're going to fall? I think a lot of our main denominations, like the Southern Baptists, where where I have come from in my past, are largely not even engaging this issue. 
the ones that I know, they're not really talking about it. Mm-hmm. Anything of a charismatic nature has been outside their circle, but it's coming to them, and they're going to have to really look at this. And just just one case I make with uh, Ms. Porter, uh, I believe she was at an earlier Dominionist meeting before this time, and I know you can see video of it online where she was actually praying about taking dominion over every area and occupying until Jesus comes, including mm-hmm. in media, and wanting to make CBS the Christian broadcasting system. Right, mm-hmm. right. I think that um, was one of her phrases. I used an audio clip from uh, May Day uh, to open our PID radio program of uh, a couple of weekends ago, right after that event, in fact, in which she said, you know, we prayed that God, that you would help us take over the mountain of arts and entertainment and the mountain of media so that, uh, and, you know, take it away from the unrighteous and give it to the righteous uh, so that we can uh, make Hollywood a place that lifts up Jesus' name. Okay, now, again, people may ask, what's wrong with praying this way? I mean, we're praying for God to change the culture. If you look at the formula that was employed at May Day, and this is something I've been looking at, and, and I, what I think is, again, at the heart of this dominionist theology and is really disturbing, um, the, the whole concept is based on a doctrine taught by C. Peter Wagner called identificational repentance. Identificational repentance. The idea is that we can pray and intercede for people who uh, are no longer with us, for people who uh, aren't present and aren't repentant. For example, those, I mean, presumably, uh, those who were at May Day 2010 were not pornographers, uh, abortionists, um, supporters of homosexual marriage. And yet those were among the, th- the sins that were repented of at May Day 2010. Mm. The reason is identificational repentance, uh, which is part of uh, what Wagner calls strategic level spiritual warfare, um, teaches that you have to identify specific guilt or sin that has opened a uh, or, or granted permission or opened a portal, opened a doorway for a demon to set up a stronghold over a specific geographic area. Which is why, if you watched May Day 2010, there were representatives for each of the 50 states praying during these seven hours of prayer. One for each of the seven mountains of culture that we need to retake. They were praying for specific sins and guilt attached to specific geographic locations and praying for repentance, corporate repentance, for people who were long dead or not repentant so that God would then tear down the stronghold of these demons. Now, this idea of corporate repentance or intercessory repentance is not biblical. There's no example of it anywhere in the Bible. Well, what about Daniel? Well, yes, Daniel did pray to God and admitted that the nation uh, had sinned, but he was asking God for mercy, not for repentance on behalf of the nation. Right. Moses many times fell on his face. God, please don't kill us all out here in the desert. But again, he wasn't repenting for the sins of the people. He was praying for mercy. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. Can I give it, another example uh, that was the closest I could think of mm-hmm. uh, with Abraham when he tried to intercede on behalf of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah? Right, okay? right. He, he interceded, but he did not repent of their sins. He that prayed their for sins mercy. would be forgiven. He actually asked that God would withhold judgment right. uh, for a while. To at least right. hold it for a while, not judgment at that time. And all he was able to accomplish is as close a relationship as Abraham had with God and how influential he was. All he could do was to get 
God to be able to send some servants to take the handful of righteous people out before the judgment was meted out. Right. So nowhere in in a way that repentance was happened that actually wiped the slate clean and saved right. the day. So this is not a scriptural teaching. It is not biblical. Um, and why does it disturb me? Well, because this is a spiritual formula, a spiritual formula that is intended to elicit a specific spiritual response or response in the spiritual realm. Okay. This is the way the formula works. You have to identify the demon that's got the stronghold in your town. You have to identify the sin or the guilt that allows it to have the stronghold there. And then you have to pray and repent of it, even though you didn't do it, so that God will tear down the strong man or tear down the stronghold. What does that sound like? It sounds to me in, in the sense of a spiritual formula calculated to elicit a specific spiritual event, like trying to perform a ritual working, a magical working. Yeah, exactly like that. Which is why they had to be at a sacred place at the Washington Monument. With the Uh, world's largest obelisk out there representing the member of Osiris? Uh, Yes, absolutely. mm -hmm. I I suspect that had something to do, whether these people knew it or not, whether Miss Porter knew it or not, I suspect that there is more at work here, and that is why this is disturbing. And again, these are the people who believe that they have a divine mission, a mission from God to reclaim the planet, because Jesus either cannot or will not return until we take over the world. Mm-hmm. And that's I the key thing to understand, uh, people. Those of us who understand and, and believe that the Bible clearly teaches about his return, that the world, while we may save people one at a time, the world as a whole will continue to decay, as the Bible says, until he comes uh, to restore all things himself. Right. Uh, through his own power and might, and they are repudiating all that and saying they're going to do that with their own might mm. uh, in lieu of him. And in fact, th- their teaching more and more sounds very man-centered and man-focused. Very well, little, ex- dis- lo- very little discussed about the work that God accomplished uh, uh, on the cross through Jesus Christ, His Son. A uh, little about the victory that was achieved on the cross. Right. Uh, it's it's mankind striving, mankind's achievement. mankind's accomplishment of the kingdom of God uh, himself and finally bringing everything into fruition. Exactly right. It's though they skip right from the Garden of Eden until the Millennial Kingdom, except that they're in charge. They're the ones actually governing the Millennial Kingdom. Uh, They skip right over the cross and repentance uh, and and the, uh, the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which has won the spiritual war. I mean, there are still skirmishes taking place, and we are certainly, as we walk on this earth, behind enemy lines. There's no question about that. And I believe that there's even biblical support for the idea of territorial spirits. I mean, we look at Daniel and the mm-hmm. encounter that Gabriel had with the prince of Persia. But the, Gabriel didn't come to Daniel and say, hey, we need your help. You need to go prayer map Persia for us and then pray and repent for everyone in Persia so that we can you know, tear down the stronghold. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. Um, mm-hmm. It is it is a heretical doctrine that denies the power of Jesus Christ's sacrifice. It denies the power of God and puts all the power back on the back in our hands as humans. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing that really is ironic: uh, the ultimate goal, when you look at it again, step back and look at the big picture. The ultimate goal is to create the kingdom of God on earth. In a sense, create heaven on earth through the working of our own hands. Right. That's exactly what the New Agers want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why you can see people like Paul in Temple being able to put 
people like the Barbara Marx Hubbards and others and, and bring these people together and find lots of commonalities uh, in, in what they want to achieve. And when they're at high levels, they have a large degree of power. Uh, they're constantly looking for something new and fresh to energize the troops and the rank and file, to keep the funding coming, to keep the support. They can't teach the same old thing about the old rugged cross and keep people really engaged and keep the money going. It's got to be something new and fresh. And uh, if you look at the titles of the conferences these people have, it's something very aggressive, very dynamic. Uh, it's something that, that grabs people uh, yeah. that are used to today's culture. And that's what keeps the support coming. Uh, they did repent of some sins as they re- each hour. I mean, they make it very explicit in this. I mean, each hour was dedicated mm-hmm. to one of the seven mountains uh, of d- dominionism. Uh, what sins did they repent for, and and what do you think they really should have been praying for repentance for if our, if our nation was truly united behind it? Well, some of the sins are, are clearly things that we, as a collective nation, have been guilty of. Uh, for example, my mother's home state of North Dakota, the representative prayed for to repent of the uh, sin of taking the land from the First Nations. And clearly, there is a long list of offenses, abuses, and outright um, you know, crimes against humanity, if you will, against the uh, the Native Americans committed by, you know, our ancestors who came to this land and uh, and took it away. But repentance is not just saying, "Hey, I'm sorry." Repent. Repentance involves a change of action. So, if we're truly going to repent for taking away the land uh, that belonged to the First Nations, are we going now to give it back? Well, of course we're not. Uh, there, there's no intention of doing it. The whole point of the repenting, uh, the, the, of, of including this in the prayer of repentance, is to try to find the right spiritual formula to drive away the demon. And you, it was done without, it, 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 again, it was done more in the sense, or in the form of a magical working or casting a spell than it was an actual prayer. Um, other things, a representative from North Carolina prayed to repent, um, uh, repented of the sin of exporting tobacco. Exporting tobacco. Yeah. <laughs> Is he going to stop doing it? That's probably. Well, you know, yeah, that's probably the first sin that God will accuse our nation of when we're there at the great white throne. Is that tobacco yeah. sin? I mean, clearly, there's a. We all know the health risks. I mean, come on. But mm-hmm. 200, 200, 300 years ago, our ancestors who were here on this continent at that time were paying their taxes, not just to the government, but also to the church, in tobacco. Right. I mean, I've got the wills, copies of the wills in my genealogy file over here to prove it. So why pray for that repentance? Why, why, if we're really going to repent of something, why not repent of uh, occupying foreign countries? Why not repent of, uh, say, MK Ultra? Why not repent of uh, dosing unwitting subjects with LSD or plutonium in the interest mm-hmm. of national security? Why not repent of... Uh, why not repent of giving our president, President Obama, uh, the power which he claims to, to have now? His Justice Department has made a case that uh, the president of the United States can declare American citizens overseas who are suspected of being a threat to the United States, uh, enemies of the state, essentially, and have them assassinated without any kind of trial or judicial oversight of any kind. I, you know, the, the bizarre thing is uh, not that... Um, uh, this has happened. The bizarre thing is that you don't hear any conservatives <laughs> or yeah, liberals, for that matter. You don't hear anybody complaining about it. Well, did they did they repent for Abu Ghraib or uh, Guantanamo Bay? Or... I, I didn't hear anything like that because you know, 
Dr. Future, that would have meant raising uncomfortable questions about former President Bush, who um, many Christians believe was our man in the White House. And I did for a while. They Mm -hmm. look at him as some type of saint or something. I've never understood that. And and so we've got these... these, um, What about the Gulf of Tonkin? What about attacking the nation of Vietnam based on a lie? Did they repent of that? No, no, that was that was not included. I mean, we we know that the second attack at the Gulf of Tonkin didn't happen. In fact, not only do do we know that it didn't happen, we know that the NSA lied about it to President Johnson, so that President Johnson would expand the war and so commit why, more American troops. Why spread killing of people didn't come up on repentance, <laughs> but gay marriage and things like that? Well, ex- slavery did, and and um, taking the land away from Indians that did come up. Uh, gay marriage, of course. Uh, pornography, uh, drug abuse. Uh, th- there were a number of things which are all valid concerns. But again, the point is scripturally, biblically, we cannot repent for other people. It is a personal, individual right. act. That's right. We are all sinners, and we who say we have no sin uh, deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Mm-hmm. Um, but we cannot step up and repent for people around us who don't believe they've done anything to repent of, or maybe just don't even believe, period. Right. You know, whether they repent or not is between them and God. All of these scriptures and um, a verse in Second Chronicles that is often used to justify this corporate repentance um, is directed at the nation of Israel. You know, if the people who right. are called, my people who are called by my name will turn to me and, and repent, you know, then I will return to them and heal their land. Um, and I'm paraphrasing, of course. Forgive me for not having the verse in front no, of me. No, that's true. I mean, it's not. You're not talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about my people called by my name. Right. The Which ones is that Israel. are my property right. coming back to me. There's one nation that is called by his name, and that is Israel. And we are not Israel. Yeah. We Christians have been grafted onto that vine. America is not Israel. But America, it's not America is not God's land. Th- right. That is exactly right. And so this this is a misuse of Scripture to justify a biblically unsound doctrine that, again, teaches a man-centered um, soteriology, you know, salvation through our own works, our own power, as opposed to the power of God and his sacrifice on the cross. It's really a uh, power trip. It, it's a power trip because uh, if I have the authority to repent on your behalf, you, you better be easy with me or I might not even repent on your, <laughs> for uh, you on your behalf. Uh, if you wow. don't tr- treat me right, because I have that kind of authority over you, like, uh, whether you end up in heaven or hell. Yeah, and again, Pope Lewis have, here you know, just having come across this this doctrine, you know, off and on over the last few years, I really didn't pay much attention to it, even after I wrote that piece at my blog about it back in 2008, because I just thought this is just too far out there for mainstream Christians, for biblically discerning Christians, to be duped. We're just not going to fall for this, and yet. We've seen three times now within the last month, May Day 2010, the uh, the awakening, right, and uh, the third event is now escaping my uh, oh the National Day of Prayer, mm-hmm. right, right, which, and it has which, the key people, uh, which has drawn together the leading and the National Day of Prayer especially is disturbing because the, it's like a who's who of mainstream respected evangelical leaders and teachers, not just politically active. Uh, political activists like uh, Tony Perkins and uh, Tim Wildman, but um, you know Bible teachers that I've respected and listened to for years, like Chuck Swindoll and Charles Stanley and would, Frank and Graham. Would you oblige me? I hate to keep interrupting you because you're doing such a great job. Could I read some of these names off? I oh, wrote please, them down. Please, 
the 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 um the uh the one you mentioned the awakening at Liberty University held by a group called the Freedom Federation mm-hmm. uh some of the people there uh Tim Pawlenty the, these are you know republican figures Rick Perry the governor Tim uh, yeah, yeah Rick Perry well Newt- now here's the here's the thing a few weeks before the um the event the list of confirmed speakers that was published at the website for the awakening listed governors Pawlenty of Minnesota Perry of Texas and McDonnell uh, of uh, Virginia, uh, and Newt Gingrich. Yeah. But they changed it about a week before the event, and those men were no longer on the list. Very interesting. Interesting story. Well, here's some others. Gary Bauer. Who, yes. He's another one always looking for a cause to get behind and a podium. Uh, and Graham uh, uh, Lott, believe it, Lott, the uh, uh, daughter of Billy Graham. Jonathan Falwell. Uh, Lou Engel. Uh, mm-hmm. Rick Joyner. Uh, Cindy Jacobs, a prophetess, most of the National Apostolic Reformation people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, e- even you've not mentioned Sarah Palin, who's also prayed over by an apostle uh, yes. as well, too. Now, this uh, other meeting you were talking about, the National Day of Prayer, is very interesting, and its list has people like Shirley Dobson, Franklin Graham, Bill Bright, Beth Moore, the teacher, Robbie Zacharias, mm-hmm. Ch- Chuck Swindoll, Henry Blackaby of Experiencing God, Max Licato, uh, Oliver North, Luis Palau, Billy Graham, Chuck Colson, James mm-hmm. Dobson, Tony Hall, who used to be my congressman in Ohio, Mike Pence, congressman, Kay Arthur, Paul Crouch, um, Jack Hayford, uh, Paige Patterson of the Southern Baptist, Charles Stanley, C. Peter Wagner, mm-hmm. Rick Warren, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. So, so basically, you've got a total merging and melding of groups that, right. to my knowledge, were never together. But you, you might want to mention there was a slight change to their seven mountains or centers of power to that well, meeting. See, see, that's the thing. A lot of people hearing this might question why we're picking on the National Day of Prayer, because you know what's wrong with the National Day of Prayer? We, right. This is something that's been going on for 59 years now, and some liberal judge in Wisconsin declared it unconstitutional a month ago, but... Believe it or not, the Obama administration actually appealed the ruling. Um, but what is wrong with a national day of prayer? Well, again, I, I think first of all, first of all, we Christians need to rethink the idea that the government needs to sanction our faith. Okay, if the government says, no, you can't have it, what's to stop us from just saying, well, we're going to have a national day of prayer where Christians just meet in our churches and pray anyway? Mm-hmm. Why do we need the government to sanction it? Because okay. the leaders, the religious leaders, wouldn't have anywhere to go if they didn't have centralized places. Uh-huh. If we uh-huh. all did it in centralized fashion, there's going to be a lot of Christian leaders out of work. Exactly. That's point number one. Now, point number two is when you go to the mission statement at the National Day of Prayer right. Task Force's website, the National Day of Prayer's mission statement reads as follows. The National Day of Prayer Task Force's mission is to communicate with every individual the need for personal repentance and prayer. Oh, that's good. We do need to personally repent and pray. Uh, Quoting again, mobilizing the Christian community to intercede for America and its leadership in the seven centers of power. That's where they jump the rails. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, question mark, bionic. Mm. That's an interesting, uh, just only punctuation, middle name. Uh, What do you think about our discussion here? It's widening its reach. Well, the, to other forums. The, the biggest thing that really stuck out to me was the um, uh, the Babylon working, otherwise, you know, Babylon working, known as the the identification repentance stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny we mentioned that as sort of an occult working, 
and I, I mean, I jest about it a little bit, but the, the thing that really reminded me of it all was, you know, um, Jack Parson and mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, they were conjuring Hubbard, all yeah. going out there into the desert. Yeah, you know, that's kind of what came to my mind. But you know what? Sudden. It sounds so good. It sounds well. We're going to repent for America and blah 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 until you really stop and think about the theology of it. Mm-hmm. And we need to do that all the time. And somebody else uh, who needs to tell us is Merv can tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. We gotta go. Yeah, theology's for the birds. Just kidding. Don't listen to him. Just kidding. Come back tomorrow for our fourth segment with Brother Derek. Until then, we hope your future's always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, pretty much not apostolic, as far as the new apostolic bionic. Yeah, well, and I'm glad for that. Yeah, uh, By that too. definition, uh, you're just a sinner saved by grace, right? That's pretty much what it comes down to. Yeah, me too. Uh, this week, uh, we have been talking to Derek Gilbert, who is the host of the Appearing Into Darkness radio show, PID Radio, and also a view from the Bunker radio show. And we're discussing his research that he's been uh, publishing and talking about uh, concerning the May Day 2010 event and the merging of the religious right and the new apostolic reformation. Signs of the last days been an eye-opening and disconcerting discussion, but important. We hope you feel the same way, and we probably need to go right to it. So here is Brother Derek, and we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. And the seven centers of power are, and I quote, government, military, media, business, education, church, and family. Now, those seven centers of power track exactly with the seven mountains of influence or seven Mm -hmm. molders of culture or the 7M mandate taught by the New Apostolic Reformation, except except that they swap in military for arts and entertainment. That's right. And And, I found that to be just a little bit disturbing because the New Apostolic Reformation, this dominionist uh, theology, is you will often hear... Uh, calls and preaching and teaching on uh, raising up a, a new generation of uh, spiritual warriors that they call Joel's army, which mm-hmm. is a uh, a misreading of chapter two of the book of Joel, where there's a a demonic horde that sweeps across Israel and just destroys everything in its path. And for some reason, they interpret Joel's army as as being a a holy army of God that sweeps forward and wipes out the 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 infidel i guess um but anyway th- this was really interesting in that we see this seven mountains creeping into a an event that as you mentioned brought together some of the biggest names in evangelical christendom in the united states well and, and uh, just to mention further and see the key is is that they're not looking for influence in these groups they're looking for control and they're very upfront including the military um 
Uh, a couple other things that they say their goals they want to do is to uh, protect America's constitutional freedom to gather, worship, pray, and speak freely. And I'm wondering how many people there spoke for freedom for Muslims to gather in our nation and speak well, freely without fear Muslims, of reprisal. You notice there weren't any Muslims, Jews, Hindus, Buddhists on that list of uh, leaders or advisors for the National Day of Prayer. Um, no. They probably thought it was too weird. Looks like it has an agenda to it. And then it says, respect for all people, regardless of denomination or creed. Now, I don't know if they mean denomination or creed, meaning only people who are different kinds of Christians respect, or whether they mean respect for all Americans. But I'm assuming they didn't try to really expand that reach. I would say, I, I, I think we should give them the benefit of the doubt and say maybe they just really mean everybody. How, how many of these same leaders talk about the the incredible Muslim hordes that are all Tons. just sharpening their knives, totally. ready to destroy yeah. us all? Totally, Tons. and to cut off all like, our heads. They they all work twenty hours a day in a in a crescent moon factory, and they're coming mm-hmm. over here to kill us in with the scimitars in hand, yeah. uh, re- ready for us. So you know we're seeing now this merging of these particular people that have these particular plans. Um, what do you think are the motives of the new apostolic reformation and making affiliation of these events and their plans? Are you starting to see a game plan that they're putting together? I think it's clear that they are sensing an opportunity and are capitalizing on an opportunity to gain political uh, credibility and power and clout. Um, Again, they were dismissed in 1953 by the Assemblies of God, which was a very charismatic denomination sure. uh, for, for being just too weird. I mean, sure. William Branham and the Latter Rain movement was just too far out there. The uh, manifestations were unbiblical, they were unscriptural, and they were under, they basically went underground until the 80s when uh, John Wimber um, came out of Calvary Chapel in California, by the way. It parted ways with Chuck Smith out there because he was not adhering to biblical doctrine. Uh, and he partnered up with C. Peter Wagner at Fuller Theological Seminary. The fruit that has sprouted from that weed is this new apostolic reformation, this global movement of new apostles and prophets who believe that they, or at least teach, that they are speaking words of the Lord and that God wants us, or wants them, I should say, to take over the planet for Jesus Christ and put all of the world and all of us you know, Bible-believing Christians under their authority. They believe that that is their role to play. They sense an opportunity with the opposition among conservative Americans, many of whom are Christians, to the policies of Barack Obama and the Democratic Party. And they're capitalizing on it to get themselves involved in political or what I call theopolitical rallies like May Day 2010 and The Awakening. And there are others coming. There's one that's sponsored by Pastor Rick Scarborough of Vision America coming up on 7-7, another numerological thing for some reason, what he calls the Pastor's Tea Party. Um, the uh, Family Research Council has come up with another event that they're calling Oh, Call by the way, can, can I mention that on that Tea Party? He does have David Barton helping him, who will be talking about how how mm-hmm. wonderfully Christian all the founding fathers were. Yeah. And they might wrote a few letters denying the virgin birth or the deity of Christ, but other than that, they were wonderful Christians. And he'll be helping him uh, promote that to the flock. Yeah, and Barton, by the way, was also at May Day, you know, part of May Day 2010 and the National Day of Prayer and so forth. Uh, so... There, there's an agenda there. It's playing on the, the patriotic tendencies of 
Bible-believing Christians, and, and this, is, this is where it's really dangerous and, and why I'm getting passionate about it. Again, I'm late to the party. I'm certainly not an expert on the teachings or the doctrines of the new apostolic reformation, but I have been a longtime political observer, a, a former secular uh, t- talk show host, uh, dealing with politics on a daily basis. And what I sense here, what I see coming, is a, a mainstreaming of this this radical agenda that is a parallel track, in my view, to Islamic Jihad. Like jihadists who believe that they have a mission from Allah to take over the planet, the new apostles believe that God has decreed that they are to take over the planet and rule it in his name. Right now, in order to win allies and win support, they are rallying uh, with, well, the same spirit that brought together the Tea Party movement. And a lot of Bible-believing Christians who are really upset at what's happening in Washington, D.C., are being pulled into this movement because they see like-minded spirits on what Janet Porter said D. James Kennedy called the main things. And Mm -hmm. sadly, the main things, instead of the gospel of salvation, is the gospel of the kingdom, in that Christians should Mm -hmm. rule through politics. It's a gospel of power. Yes, yes. And I think it's very telling that in a recent interview with Charisma Magazine, C. Peter Wagner, when he was asked what he saw coming, if he could look ahead 10 years, what he saw coming, changes in the church, he said he believes that we will see a move away from the gospel of salvation to the gospel of the kingdom. And I think that encapsulates it. That's it in a nutshell. That's what's happening. This political movement that is driving the Tea Party is pulling in this new apostolic reformation. It's giving it credibility with all of its bizarre signs and wonders and manifestations, uh, you know, freak shows like Todd Bentley and John Crowder um, are being pulled into this movement and given credibility through their association with respected teachers like Dr. James Dobson. Well, you know, there's several thoughts I have on this. Uh, one, it frustrates me that citizens who are freedom-loving people that have understood limited government, who studied the, you know. Uh, uh, the, the teachings of uh, what it means to be free and liberty, to be for them to be pulled along in this whole mess and be exploited is very frustrating to me. But I'm really disappointed in our religious leaders that they do not have the discernment. You know, they're, they're, they, they teach us every week on the radio. They teach out of God's word. They provide all this counsel, whether it's psychological or biblical counsel, uh, that we're supposed to look up to. But yet they don't have the discernment to see this going on right under their nose. And they're being co-opted in this. Either they fully understand it and fully embrace it. Either they uh, see an opportunity to sort of stay current and keep support for their ministries by getting involved. Or they're totally undiscerning. And e- either of those three options are unacceptable uh, to yes. me. Um, yes. If I could uh, just interject here on where I think this is going, and I want you to comment on it. it, it right off the top of my head, it looks like there's there's four paths just off the top of my head that I could see this could take or, or variations thereof uh, as this, this movement goes in the future. Either it fizzles out, uh, people start to get wise to what's going on, and it's sort of like how the May Day movement was. It just doesn't have the draw, and then they have financial impact. Uh, or, B, uh, they're actually reproved by the church, that there's more groups like VCY. Of course, right now, VCY is probably the biggest group, but they're not very big. Uh, mm-hmm. To speak on this, otherwise you've got flunkies like uh, you and us here, uh, you know the small potato guys <laughs> yeah. talking about this thing. But but you know if 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 the light bulb comes on with others who can reprove them, 
uh, and distance the rest of the body of Christ from this. Or C, um, that, that this group will actually grow and obtain more power and through it will suppress other Christian groups as well as other non-Christian groups as well and kind you know create like a backlash well and come off against us come off against our show against other kind of things uh and then the last I was going to say is that they would they would create a backlash from people outside the church and the power structures who see this very active movement of control that they're trying to do and it's going to fulfill all of the worst fears of people outside the church that we're not all about peace and respecting people's rights and just peaceably sharing the gospel. We're actually about trying to usurp control over others and then we're going to all get hit, all of us Christians, uh, with persecution because of the fears that are created by this group. Uh, those, those are the four different directions I can see. Do you have any comment on what you think, uh, maybe how this plays out? Well, I think there's a real danger that well-meaning Christians get pulled into this movement and that it becomes a political force. Uh, and uh, certainly that is also the goal of groups that are working behind the scenes, like the Council for National Policy and the Family, uh, which you know your listeners probably know is the group that sponsors the president's national prayer breakfast every year uh they've been working behind the scenes in washington dc for over 60 years uh and they've got some big money behind them paul mm-hmm. and temple um they are sort of the non-charismatic element of this dominionist theology this dominionist doctrine that we need to exercise power dominion over the planet that god's will for us was to exercise dominion and when you get people who believe they're on a mission from God, um, rational thought doesn't always enter into the equation. Like a jihad. Like a jihad, right. And, and there you have, again, a, uh, another Hegelian dialectic where you've got the radical Muslim and you've got the radical Christian, and I put Christian in air quotes, uh, creating a, a synthesis, something new. What that synthesis could be, I don't know. Perhaps, uh, as Dr. Michael Heiser points out in his book, um, Islam and Armageddon, uh, perhaps some charismatic dynamic leader arises who shows, and he shows in the book how this might be theologically possible, Jews, Christians, and Muslims, that their beliefs are not necessarily incompatible. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, who could that person be? Uh, yeah. Um, you, you, the idea of a backlash was raised by uh, a brother in the Lord, uh, David Duncan, who I believe has gone home to be with the Lord. We talked with him several times, and he talked about what he called a... Uh, uh, a, a double cross, the 2012 uh, deception, or uh, it's, uh, I've got to go back and look mm-hmm. at his website now. But essentially, he believed that, just as you said, that uh, the rest of the world will blame Christians in whole for the radical excesses of this dominionist sect and then take it out on all of us. Right. Uh, that, and that like is certainly a possible. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's what Chris White has been talking about the same thing. Hmm. So uh, that is a possibility too. The 2012 scam is what he called it. Yeah. Uh, and and he he s- said that he'd heard this uh, teaching uh, as far back as uh, the 1960s from New Agers in uh, Haight Ashbury. Uh, you know, Brother Dave hmm. was a uh, was a hippie in the Summer of Love in San Francisco, so he got to hear all the big names in the New Age mm-hmm. movement at the height of it. So, uh, But he said that was a teaching that was even back then uh, going through New Age circles, that someday there was a uh, movement that would sweep Christians out of the way, uh, as uh, Chris White has pointed out in his talks on 2012, because mm-hmm. we're holding the world back from transforming into the next level of consciousness. Um, yeah. But ironically, getting back to the New Apostles, they believe 
that this is part of uh, God's plan for us, too, that we are elevating to a higher level of spiritual discernment and power and authority. It looks very much like what the New Agers teach with just different language. Right. Uh, I'd, I'd like to read a couple quotes here because we're getting toward the end of the show uh, about what they plan to do with their leadership. Then I want you to comment on if they shed light on what they plan to do with this power if they're able to get it. Um, Rachel uh, Tabachnik, I believe is her name, uh, commented. She says, imagine for a moment that a very large block of the evangelical world decided to reorganize into a hierarchy somewhat like the Roman Catholic Church with leaders, apostles, in authority over each nation, region, and city. Peter Wagner has streamlined this ideology and named it the NAR. Wagner is the presiding apostle of the ICA, which includes 40 nations, and prayer warrior community networks in all 50 states and worldwide. The merging of Christian right politics and apostolic prophetic dominionism is a giant leap forward for the dominion mandate they espouse. Uh, Apostle Jim LaFoon has written, Have you ever wondered why we have spent 2,000 years reaching the same nations over and over and over again? It is because we've only set the goal of reaching them and not understanding what it is to rule them. Before it is all done, God will give us hundreds of apostles and prophets, for they will equip the greatest army of professionals the world has ever seen. We believe that the kingdom of God can come upon the earth as it is in heaven. We believe that we will produce a generation that will not only reach, but rule. We are called to change history. We are called to produce a generation that will rule. I believe one day we will leave our children nations and regions and continents. Does this give some vision on how they see sort of an end game would be of them calling the shots? That basically summarizes the Dominionist movement. That summarizes the 7M mandate, the uh, seven mountains of influence uh, philosophy of the Dominionist heresy. That's it in a nutshell. Uh, Speaking of the the seven mountains, do you think these seven mountains they refer to might... Uh, ironically, have maybe some corollary and a similar pattern in prophetic literature? Well, my beautiful and brilliant wife, Sharon, made this observation a couple of weeks ago as we were talking about this on PID Radio. She said, you know, you would think that one of the scholars in this movement might have noticed that the whore of Babylon in the book of Revelation is riding a seven-headed beast, and then to further clarify what that beast represents, uh, Jesus tells the Apostle John that the seven mountains are the, uh, the seven heads on the beast are the seven mountains on which the woman resides. Like, wow. Oh, well, wouldn't that be interesting that the whore of Babylon, the end times church, actually rests on this concept of the seven mountains? Sounds like she wants to be an apostolus or something or whatever female apostle. Uh, that, with that kind of insight. Um, but couldn't that completely change an understanding of Revelation in that we think seven hills, we think of Rome, we think of that certain structure. Could it yep. be supplanted by something bigger and seven mountains that represent even more? I, I think that's absolutely true. And again, I think it's telling that there are a number of different ecumenical movements all essentially shooting at the same target, even though they may not acknowledge it, may not even realize it. You've got the Dominionists uh, with a couple of different strains of uh, within that movement, the New, Apost- uh, New Apostles and then the uh, quieter 
less charismatic family, the fellowship, the Council for National Policy, kind of working quietly for the same goal. Then you've got the ecumenical movements uh, of the uh, the social gospel types, the uh, the emergent church. Rick Warren and uh, his partnership with Tony Blair's Faith Foundation, coming together with other faiths to achieve the United Nations Millennium Development Goals. Um, they're all essentially trying to accomplish the same thing, creating heaven on earth through the work of our hands. And again, and the New Agers are working for the same thing. It's all the same thing. Uh, and, you know, there are just a few of us out here in the weeds saying, hey, you know what? This isn't in the Bible, guys. Mm-hmm. Hey, I got a question here coming to the close, and, and uh, I'm not even sure what to make of this either. I was reading some on C. Peter Wagner, and there's something called the Wagner Paradigm. Uh, and it may get a little bit into the Calvinism, Arminianism thing about the regenerative act that occurs at salvation. And obviously he is looking to something that's more man-centered in that process itself. But there's a curious quote uh, from them. And then I want to mention a couple of the conferences coming up and just get your comment on it. Uh, part of his paradigm about um, this change of man and where it needs to get, he says, man must embrace the bloodlust and brutality of human nature in a state of nature, in order to transcend sin. What? And I'm not quite sure what to make of that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to see that in the context that it was taken from, because yeah. that, that would be easy to really say, well, you know. Right. I, but I, I don't see even putting it into context how you can just square that with Scripture. Well, now, there's two conferences. If you go to globalharvest.org, globalharvest.org, you'll see his website and, and current activities going on. There's two conferences coming up later this year, and these are typical of the kind of names of the conferences, the very compelling things. One's called Thy Kingdom Come, Another Look at the Puzzle of the End Times, which, in other words, means they're going to come up with their own eschatology to explain mm-hmm. how they fit in the big picture. Well, they that's, have to. That's right. And the second one's called The Ark is Moving, Be Mobilized for War. Mm-hmm. That sounds very provocative. And I'm assuming the war is not just on the knees yeah. in the and, heavenlies. Well, yeah, exactly, because they're, they're not talking about uh, Noah's Ark. They're talking the Ark of the Covenant. When it moves, it's because the Israelites were going to war. Mm-hmm. And, and that, are, that's where they talk about Joel's army or the Joshua generation, which is another phrase they use, uh, of these warriors that they're raising up to go out and conquer those seven mountains. And we already have Department of Homeland Security that has... The, the DHS report out now talking about right-wing extremists that are making threatening statements and warlike statements and things. And I see storm clouds brewing mm-hmm. of sort of a perfect storm of these very uh, bellicose statements that are coming out. Uh, at the same, And I know you believe in spiritual warfare as we do. Yes. But those are battles in the heavenlies. They're not, they're not coercive with humankind. We preach the gospel. We share the good news. We offer to serve and minister to people but not to coerce them or bend their arm in. And we, we fight vigorously in the heavenlies, but um, we minister to those uh, on the outside. Th- this sends messages that are different, and there's going to be a pushback by the government. Mm-hmm. And there may be some of these people that they embrace because they're so well-connected with political figures already. Uh, and then you've got people like Hillary Clinton that are sort of on the fence. You know, she's part of the family. Mm-hmm. Some of these kind of things, she may serve as a bridge to run cover for them. But some of the rest of us out here that are saying things on Christian radio, like what we're talking about now, 
uh, could really find ourselves in quite a quandary. And and mm. I, I just want you, you to tell us, since you understand where we're coming from and, and our little small spot here in Christian Radio and, and what you're doing there, what should our listeners and we do with this information? Well, you know, it's what we've been told to do for 2,000 years, which is pray. Um, yeah, I think we need to be discerning, certainly, and that's part of Jesus' command to us. Uh, you know, there are two basic commands, he said, that encompass all of the teachings of, you know, the law and, and the apostles, which are, you know, to uh, love our neighbors as we love ourselves and to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, and all of our minds. And that means we need to look at what's being taught, square it against Scripture, and if it doesn't fit, reject it. Um, sadly, a, a lot of us are, are choosing churches because they've got good coffee bar. Well, that's that's being mm-hmm. too flippant. We, we'll, cho- we'll, cho- <laughs> right. we'll, we'll, we'll choose a church because we've got a, a you know good programs for the kids, right. or you know all my my family goes there, um, and, and that can be very difficult to separate from a church that's teaching bad doctrine. Um, when everyone you know, all your friends, all your family goes there, you know, we've been going to this church for, you know, 30 mm-hmm. years. That can be really, really hard. Uh, and, and I understand that. Um, but, you know, again, it comes down to who are we mm-hmm. more, uh, you know, who, who mm-hmm. poses a bigger threat to us mm-hmm. in the spiritual war in which we all are, are, mm-hmm. take part? Satan or Barack Obama? Well, find you a church that doesn't feel like they have to follow like puppy dogs after these national ministries. The national ministries support them at their own risk right now. Uh, and yes, yeah. in our local church, find one that just sticks to teaching the Word of God and lets those people go where they are, warns people, if anything. We're down to about one minute. Would you say a quick prayer? You mentioned prayer. Would you say a prayer mm-hmm. for discernment for our listeners and all the body of Christ on how we should handle this? Lord, we just ask that you give us the the you know wisdom as you told uh, uh, you told us through Scripture so many times that if we pray that you will give it to us. And Lord, now more than ever, we need to be able to discern truth from lies because it's easy to spot the enemy who is yes. openly rejecting your word. But when wolves have dressed themselves in the clothing of sheep and are claiming to come in your name, Father, we it, it's so difficult to tell. Uh, when they're being truthful. Father, we just pray that you would help us to discern, help us, Lord, to pray for strength and courage, and the wisdom to speak clearly, gently, but clearly, uh, the the reasons for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Father, we ask this in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 And rescue those who have been deceived. We've got to run now, but I would also like to say to everybody in our community, we may need to either go to some of these conferences and report back to each other or watch them online and web feeds or something, but we've got to get more engaged in this. I'm really convinced. Thank you so much for your work of the body of Christ. Uh, Let's try to uh, covenant together to stay more on top of this, and please keep us posted. Everyone keep listening to PID Radio. Uh, Please keep listening to... uh, the uh, information that Brother Derek and Sister Sharon are putting out, and uh, we'll try to keep reporting on what you find as well, and um, we'll uh, we'll sort of see what the Lord leads us. Amen. And thank you so much for sharing with us. We appreciate you uh, coming on our show, and please come back again very soon. I will, and I'm serious. You're you're you've got to get on view from the bunker here. Okay. <laughs> thank you so much, brother. Thanks for coming to be with us and sharing. You bet. Okay.
We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, not part of the Seven Mountains, the Apostolic Movement, any of that stuff, Bionic. Okay. You know, those mountains, I think, are okay to influence. In fact, we should be engaged and involved. But it's not like King of the Mountain. Yeah. It's not like you're supposed to throw people off the mountain. Yeah. Well, it's not like you're supposed to, like, put, quote-unquote, curses on them and stuff. Right. Jesus yeah. will take the mountains one day. Yep. And what he says go with that, with that iron scepter, but he's not here yet. Yeah, that's true. And I really don't feel like I have the authority to speak, particularly against other Christians. Well, and this gets to something this that... This is exactly the way it's supposed to be. This gets to something that I've been considering a lot lately, is that the whole idea of a spiritual kingdom we inherit. God, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not for mm-hmm. us to go and, you know, roll tanks. So he brings it back here. Yeah. Uh, Merv, would you come tell our listeners how to contact us at Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. we got to go. All right. Come back tomorrow for tomorrow's Tremors. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I am Tom. I rather like my Miranda rights, but sometimes, apparently, they're going to be contingent. Bionic. Yeah. Well, who's Miranda? Can you introduce her to us? Yeah, she wore that fruit in her hair. Yeah, that's right. Carmen Miranda. Yeah. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back with you again here on Friday for the Future Quake Show. And given that it's Friday, that means what, Mr. Bionic? It is today's review of the news or tomorrow's tremors thing. You know, you almost got like the actual words just in a rearrangement. Yeah. Like the sum total. If it was like Sudoku, you may have like gotten it. <laughs> so tomorrow's Tremors or today's review of the Futures News, mm-hmm. where we uh, take time at the end of the week after a stirring interview and uh, look at what's going on in the world. Do you have any announcements before we get um, rolling into that? Should Should I talk <clears throat> about Should I talk about our our upcoming? Show in a couple of months. We haven't nailed you, down a date. You think it's official? I, I think it is. We just haven't no. nailed down a you date. Can, I tell you what, you can run the idea past people, and if they want to email and yep. think it's a good idea, I mean, we're planning for it to happen. Yeah. Okay. Tell them what it is. All right. Well, we are thinking about doing our first ever call-in, pre-recorded call-in show. Uh, the details will At follow. least during the WNO era. Yeah. Sort of like the old days of WRFN where we had live except nobody yeah. listened to us. Then, I, thought we were, I, th- <laughs> I thought we were supposed to mention that other radio station. Yes, we mentioned it. Okay. We were on there. But, yeah. uh, you know, back then. Radio station we, X. We had a couple calls and they were wrong numbers. Yeah. That was always sort of sad. Uh, a few calls here and there. But, but now hopefully we'll get a good response from our Futurians mm-hmm. if they're available. Yeah, at some future point we're going to pick a date and a time. Probably in later part of June. Yeah, latter latter part of June, and then uh, we'll do Colin via TalkShoe.com. They've graciously allowed us to use their stuff and given us a uh, let wave. us broadcast it later yeah. on the radio. Yeah, given us sort of the the legal legal uh, waivers and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, we'll be doing that. Um, 
And uh, if you guys think that that sounds like a terrible idea, email in. If you think that sounds like a genius idea, yeah. If you like it's really in. stale and out of date, if you prefer that, mm-hmm. let us know for future bike. Yeah, there you go. Uh, of course, you know, if we have people live, we won't be the only crazy people on the radio at the time. That's we'll okay. There's a mute button. There's a mute button. Okay. I'm working on how to, there's con- the controls on how to yeah. do that. It'll evening. be something different. Yeah. And it'll be timely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably on a Tuesday evening, you figure? I Most think likely. So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Central thinking, time. So. Yeah. Okay. Potentially maybe even the last Tuesday in June. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. All righty. Sounds very interesting. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let us know what you think. They're always trying to think of something different to do. Yep. Yeah. Okay, that's that's a big one. Anything else? Um, not at this time. Not oh, this I time. am speaking at the Ancient of Days. Wow. I mean, you will be part of the pantheon of speakers through the Ancient of Days series. I'm, I, 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 I color myself uh, as as unworthy to hang out with you, but apparently they just. Well, they, they said, we don't want to fill. So we don't want to make the mistake of Doctor Future again. We picked the wrong one last time. Let's go for the right one. Then they no. checked Pyro, he wasn't available, so they're going with Tom yeah. Bennett. Yeah, it's like, well, we couldn't get we couldn't get the big guns, so yeah. we'll get, you know, come well, on down. Hey, I'll give you half five here All in the right. studio. Ouch! Uh, ow, man, that hurt. Uh, that's good. That's great. And that's good for the listeners and the people there in Roswell. That's true. If you've yeah, never been to Roswell, you need to go. Yeah, come on. Scott Malo's gig. He set the standard. Uh, you know, the ancient, the excuse me, the mm-hmm. last day's conference we had here was not Great conference, a lot of attendees. Tom Worley worked extremely hard, everybody. Mm-hmm. But uh, good old Guy Malone really sort of set the precedent for for conferences like yeah. that with those crazy people uh, at Ancient of Days. And, you he know, those have gone back there. to like 2003. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I, as I've mentioned on this show, the 2005 Ancient of Days conference was one that sort of set the course for the next five-plus years of my life and never looked back. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's huge, heavy. huge impact. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, those are some big ones. Anything else? I can't think of anything. What about you? Any announcements? No, there's nothing going on with me. I just sit there and study stories and issues and try to chase down guests and plead with them to come on the show and try to arrange stuff. And that's my life, basically. You're tell them about your, you know, your nomination for your Nobel Peace Prize. Nah, that's not really that interesting. Okay. Why don't you go to a story? Okay. Give us, a, give us the most interesting one first. Gosh, they're the all the one that everyone will love. Oh, man. We'll go with the middle one first here. Eric Holder, Miranda rights should be modified for terrorism suspects. This is via the Huffington Post. Uh, not my favorite newspaper, but certainly very well respected. And, you know, well, factual. now, you know, uh, we've got Joseph Lieberman, Senator Lieberman, trying to take away the citizenship of people who are citizens. Yes. So that would be sort of related to that, too, right? Because yes. then they'd lose a lot more than just Miranda rights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like those rights get in the way. They're just pesky you, that people are endowed by their creator with those things. Yeah. So you need somehow unendowed it's an by the creator. They're inalienable rights yeah. endowed by the government. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Uh, Attorney General Eric Holder said for the first time today on ABC's This Week that the Obama administration is open to modifying Miranda protections to deal with the threats that we now face. And when I read that, I went, they don't have the right to modify Miranda. Mm-hmm. They don't get the, they don't, well, we're going to follow these laws. We're not going to follow these laws. Right. Um, the Miranda system we have in place has proven to be effective, Holder told host Jack Jake Tapper. I think we also want to look and determine whether we have the necessary flexibility, whether we have a system that deals with situations that agents now confront. Uh, we're now dealing with international terrorism. I think we should, 
I think we have to give serious consideration to at least modifying that public safety exception uh, to the Miranda protections. And that's one of the things that I think we're going to going to be reaching out to Congress to come with a proposal that is both constitutional, <laughs> but mm-hmm. that is also relevant to our times and the threats that we now face. America's system of Miranda rights developed out of a 1966 Supreme Court ruling which found that the Fifth and Sixth Amendments rights of an alleged rapist and kidnapper, Ernesto Arturo Miranda, had violated had been violated during his arrest and trial. Uh, Miranda was later retried and convicted. The court ruled that before being interrogated, a person in custody must be clearly informed that he or she has the right to remain silent and that anything the person says will be used against that person in court and that they must be clearly informed that he or she has the right to consult with an attorney to have that attorney present during questioning. And so Eric Holder wants to just take that and right, just like that. Yeah. Awesome. Not just him. And Joe well, you got a long, as well? You got a long list. So you got yeah, John, John Hugh. Yeah. You got uh, who? Who was the one under Bush? Uh, Gonzalez. Yeah. <clears throat> you've got and now you've got someone who's being considered for Supreme Court from the left, who I who think will, is consistent with this. Yes. She's like the worst of both worlds. Yeah. Uh, she has the uh, morality of the left and the uh, security totalitarianism of the right. Yes. All combined. It's all a big. Happy family, mm-hmm. as long as you love the government. Mm-hmm. Welcome, North Korea. Yeah, exactly. I know. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, would you like me to share something here? Sure. Okay, here's a story here. Um, mystery disease uh, linked to missing Israeli scientist. Uh, now, <clears throat> I didn't catch who wrote this until I got to the end of the uh, the article. It was actually written by H.P. Alberelli Jr., who's a gentleman who's breaking lots of stories like this lately and been trying to get in contact. I think we had some collateral contact, but I want to get him on our show. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's the one that broke the story about the LSD being pumped into the French town. Wow. I so here's, a, here's another one he has. Uh, media outlets across the northwest United States began reporting on April 24th that a strange, previously unknown strain of virulent airborne fungi that has already killed at least six people in Oregon, Washington, and Idaho is spreading throughout the region. The fungus, according to expert microbiologists, who have expressed alarm about the emergence of the strain, is a new genotype of Cryptococcus gatti fungi. Cryptococcus gatti is normally found in tropical and subtropical locations in India, South Africa, excuse me, South America, Africa, and Australia. Microbiologists in the United States are reporting that the strain found here, for reasons not yet fully understood, is far deadlier than any found overseas. Physicians in the Pacific Northwest are reporting that an undetermined number of people in the region are ill from the effects of the strange strain. Physicians also say that the virulent strain can infect domestic animals as well as humans. And symptoms do not appear until anywhere from two to four months after exposure. Symptoms in humans include a lingering cough, sharp chest pains, fever, night sweats, weight loss, headaches, and shortness of breath. The strain can be treated successfully if detected early enough with oral doses of antifungal medication. But it is not, but it cannot be prevented, and there is no preventative vaccine. Undiagnosed, the fungus works its way into the spinal fluid and central nervous system and causes fatal meningitis. 
The estimated mortality rate is about 25% of 21 cases analyzed. Several newspapers and media outlets in the U.S. and overseas quote a researcher at Duke University's Department of Molecular Genetics and Microbiology, Edward Edmund Burns, as stating, This novel fungus is worrisome because it appears to be a threat to otherwise healthy people. Typically, we see this uh, fungal disease associated with transplant recipients in HIV-infected patients. That is not what we are seeing. Microbiologists and epidemiologists are studying the strain, say the mystery fungus came from an earlier fatal fungus that was first found on British Columbia's Vancouver Island in the fall of 2001, and perhaps as early as 1999. The fungus infected and killed dogs, cats, horses, sheep, porpoises, and at least 26 people. The disease spreads through spores carried by breezes and wind, and when people and animals encounter uh, infected ground where the fungus is present. A number of microbiologists say the disease has the potential to essentially travel anywhere uh, the wind or people can carry it. Uh, It reads an alarming study authored in part by Duke University's Edmund Burns. The continued expansion of C. gaudi in the United States is ongoing and the diversity of hosts increasing. You know, this reminded me of that movie. What was the one that was out where the the breeze carried the stuff? The Happening. The Happening, yeah. where it would wipe out people. That's sort of what that I was the, pictured never mind. here. Okay. I, I, have, I have lots of opinions Wasn't about one of your that fa- movie. I just like the great acting. Yeah. I just love the one for life. Let me, let me just get on to what it gets interesting here. Yep. Several researchers in California also note that the Cryptococcus gaudi fungus has been researched for decades, extending back to the 1950s. Here we go. Here's mm-hmm. at U.S. Army's Biological Warfare Center, Fort Detrick in Frederick, Maryland. You know, Fort Detrick is probably running third on our mention list after yeah, Rockefeller and the Nephilim. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> one microbiologist at the University of California, Los Angeles, recounted that the fungus was first brought to the attention of Fort Detrick researchers by British scientists experimenting with the bark of eucalyptus trees from Australia. Army Biological Warfare reports obtained through the Freedom of Information Act reveal that beginning around 1952, the Army mounted a huge research program involving numerous plant and fungi products, and that well over 300 long-term contracts and subcontracts were let to over 35 U.S. colleges and universities to carry out this multifaceted research. Examples of this early research in California included experiments, projects at Camp Cook, uh, and then they list a bunch of places. Uh, an extensive experimentation with stem, uh, wheat stem rust and ver- various spores, including several from tropical location and cereal rust spores and died like podium, sp- like a podium spores. Several army reports reveal that private sector corporations have participated or assisted in these projects were the American Institute of Crop Ecology, the American Type Culture Collection Incorporated, University of California, Biofarm Incorporated, and the Collegian Kul- Corporation. Now, here, okay, it's, it's, here's where we're leading up to. The same microbiologist who disclined, declined to speak on the record and who recounted extensive fungus work at Fort Detrick also stated that researchers at Israel's Institute for Biological Research, located in Nes Ziona, about 20 kilometers from Tel Aviv, oh. have worked with the uh, Cryptococcus gaudi fungus. They also report that mysterious Israeli-American scientist Joseph, Joseph Moshe, 56-year-old, years old, may have conducted covert studies with the fungus while he was recently living in California. This report concerning Moshi is especially interesting because Moshi was briefly in the international spotlight in 2009 when he was the subject of a spectacular chase and arrest by the L.A. Police Department SWAT team, assisted by the FBI, Secret Service, CIA, U.S. Army, and several other unidentified federal officials. That highly unusual arrest has never been fully explained to the media. 
and the whereabouts of Moshi has remained unknown since its occurrence. Compounding the mystery surrounding the Moshi case is that there is another scientist named Moshe Bar-Joseph who works in Israel and who looks remarkably like Joseph Moshi, except he's about 20 years older. Now, do you remember that case where we, it was right when everything was happening on the bird flu? Yeah. And they, the big thing was happening in the Ukraine? Mm-hmm. And they thought that this guy may have something related to the release of a militarized version for Ukraine. Well, yeah, and the and, other interesting thing. And he had called in to a radio station yeah, and, saying and, the stuff. And screamed it at the top of his lungs there to the people. Everybody was listening. And then he got busted by the LAPD. Like right they, after that, like yeah, the day they, or two after. And they never said what they charged him with. Right. And they even brought out the they even brought out the little car that disables the engine with the laser. That's what they talk yeah. about here. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Go ahead. But... Uh, but anyway, that's the same guy, okay? And it was oh. a big thing on TV. Okay, mm-hmm. so we know a little bit more about this guy. Why Moshe was pursued and apprehended by the police is a largely unanswered question. According to the Los Angeles media, which recorded the entire incident by helicopter and ground cameras, Moshe claimed to be a, quote, former Mossad microbiologist who had telephoned a police dispatch number before his pursuit and had made threatening statements about the White House and the president. Reportedly, Secret Service spokesman Ed Donovan confirmed this when he spoke with several L.A. reporters. On August 14, 2009, several L.A. police cruisers and an unmarked armored vehicle pursued Joseph Moshe as he drove his red VW automobile several miles through downtown L.A. before his car's engine was reportedly knocked out by an electromagnetic pulse. Moshe refused to exit the car when ordered several times by the police, and after the driver's window of his VW was smashed out by a robotic arm and several rounds of tear gas and pepper gas were fired into the vehicle, he still remained behind the wheel, refusing to move. At the time, police officers on the scene were stunned that Moshe was able to withstand three tear gas shells and hosing with pepper spray without moving. Later that day, an L.A. law enforcement official said, I can't explain that. There's no way to explain that. After his apprehension, Moshe was taken to the Patton State Mental Hospital and then to the Twin Towers Correctional Facility in Los Angeles. Sometime about 60 days later, Moshe was quietly released and his current whereabouts are unknown. Since his arrest became public, reports about Moshe's activities in the U.S. have spread like wildfire, especially across the Internet. Many of these reports are unconfirmed, but a few come from credible sources and have linked Moshe to the grossly underreported outbreak of flu in Ukraine. Uh, Other reliable sources... um, uh, including two former Fort Detrick biochemists, have also linked Moshi to a mysterious disease that is becoming alarmingly known in Vermont and other states, including California. The disease is known to have killed or incapacitated at least 10 to 20 rural dwellers and farmers. This disease is said to be Morgellons disease, or Morgellons, how you pronounce mm-hmm. it, a rare mutated form of Morgellons disease. Uh, former Fort Detrick scientists speaking off the record say that the disease is one that was experimented with intensely in the late 1960s at several test sites in New England. Uh, Morgellons causes patients to suffer horrible skin problems as well as fatigue, confusion, and serious memory problems, as well as joint pain and the strange sensation that pins and needles are piercing the body or that something is crawling beneath one's flesh. Some researchers and physicians believe that uh, Morgellons is actually a psychiatric condition called delusional parasitosis. Other physicians who are unfamiliar with treating the disease say it could be caused by an airborne unidentified spore and that it was developed in the laboratory from an affliction that was first identified in the 1700s. Regardless of its origin, some researchers say that uh, Morgellons is becoming a, quote, very real medical problem in some parts of the country. Awesome. 
Sorry that was really long, but I just thought that was really interesting. It's very interesting, yeah. And if if you're listening, uh, sir, uh, Moshi, yeah, give us in. a call. Yeah, yeah, we'd like to know um, what's we'll have, up. We'll have you on the show, I mean, maybe. And also, if you're any um, unidentified Fort Detrick people yeah. who can share some of this information. If you want to come clean, call Or in. email us. Yep. Or email us. Yeah, email us, uh, drfuturefuturequake.com, and we'd like to know what's really going on. There you to go. To warn the people. Mm-hmm. The interesting story. So. You got it all in there. Sorry, I'm I try long-winded. to keep. Yeah, I, I try to keep mine short, but that one was worth. I'm sorry. Long. No, 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 no. Don't be I was sorry. Tardy. It was good. It was good. It was good. Thought you'd groove on it. I was grooving. Okay. Uh, do we want to hear about how the NYPD tapes, in fact, show that the uh, the police, the precinct commander, and other people um, do crazy stuff, or do should we talk about this Christian leader? Uh, George Recker's taking a vacation with Rent Boy. Christian leader first and then the other. Oh, one. man. I feel really weird talking about this one. Just because it's so weird. So un- unfortunate, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. So revealing. Yeah, after this week's sort of talk uh, with uh, Derek Gilbert. I, yeah. I'm not surprised. Yep. There you go. Uh, Christian right leader George Recker's, or Reekers, or Recker's, I don't know how exactly you pronounce that, takes vacation with quote unquote Rent Boy via the Miami New Times. On April 13th, the quote-unquote rent boy, uh, whom we'll call Lucian, arrived at Miami International Airport on Iberian Airlines Flight 6123 after a 10-day fully subsidized trip to Europe. He was soon followed out of customs by an old man with an atavistic mustache and a desperate blonde comb-over pushing an overburdened baggage cart. That man was George Allen Wreckers, of North Miami, the call boy's client, and as it happens, one of America's most prominent anti-gay activists. Wreckers, a Baptist minister who was leading, who was a leading scholar for the Christian right, left the terminal with his gay. By the way, how do you spell his last name? R e k e r s. Okay. Yeah. R e k e r s. Okay. Uh, left the terminal with his gay escort, looking a bit discomfited uh, when a picture of the two was snapped with a hot pink digital camera. Hmm. Uh, reached by new reached by New Times before a trip to Bermuda, Wrecker said that he learned Lucian was a prostitute only midway through their vacation. I had surgery, Wrecker said, and I can't lift luggage. That's why I hired him. Medical problems, uh, uh, they comment here, medical problems didn't stop him from pushing the tottering baggage cart through MIA, though, which is Miami International mm-hmm. Airport. Um, yet Wreckers wouldn't deny he met his slendered blonde escort at rentboy.com, which, which features homepage images of men in bondage and grainy videos of um, some very disturbing things. Right. I won't go into it. At the small western Miami townhome, he shares with a roommate, a nervous Lucian expressed surprise when he, had told, when he told him that Wreckers denied knowing about his line of work from the beginning. He should have been able to tell you that, he said, fidgeting and fixing his eyes on his knees, but that's up to him. For decades... George Allen Wreckers has been a general in the culture wars through his work that has often been behind the scenes. In 1983, he and James Dobson, America's best-known um, radio voice, formed the Family, Family Research Council, a D.C.-based, rabidly Christian and vehemently anti-gay lobbying group that has become a standard bearer of the nation's extreme right wing. Its annual value summit is considered a litmus test for Republican presidential hopefuls. And Sean Hannity and Alan and Coulter have spoken there. So, very interesting. Sort of sad. Hmm. Well, 
You know, uh, I assume that was probably like some kind of pro-gay magazine. Unfortunately, really. yeah. Regardless of that, why isn't this stuff that is addressed by people in the church sure. before people outside have to go and address it? Well, and that's really why I felt like reading I'm not, it. I'm not, I'm not faulting them for doing it. I'm just saying, could it, no other Christians and closely around him have picked up on this or wondered? Apparently or not. Or could they have maybe just not asked questions? You know, yeah, but, you I mean, know, when this know. comes out like this, you know, you think of Ted Haggard, okay? Sure. Also, strongly anti-gay guy, you know. Mm-hmm. How how do these kind of incidents impede our ability to share Christ with people sure. who practice homosexuality? How, I mean, it's one thing for you to say, well, you have an opinion that's different than the lifestyle I want to live. It's a second thing to say you're an absolute hypocrite. Yeah. I mean, that is like ten times bigger impediment. That's why I read the story. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't no, mean no, to. No, I, I'm here to point the obvious out. I, no, I think that I think those are all very important points, and I'm glad you, as usual, um, it's like you're like reading my mind. If you don't, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't, as best you can, fully vet the national figures, you know, even like religious figures and stuff, as best as you can, for after hearing our, our discussion with uh, Brother Derek this week, if if you would... Somehow realize to be very, very careful of who these people are. Sure. Sometimes they're set up for a fall. Sometimes we, we do so much hero worship that you lead people into mm-hmm. falling. You know, so their, their issue and their fault. But, but, um, you know, stay, stay close to home, you yeah. know, with stuff like that. So, uh, anyway, um, you got another story for us? I did too. So. All right. You, did you do two? Yeah. Okay. NYPD tapes inside bed stews. Bed stoys, stoy. How do you spell that? How do you say that? Bed stoys, stoys. We'll go I don't bed know. Stoys. I want to know what this relates to. So okay, inside bed stoys, 81st precinct. Uh, is it Bedford Stuyvesant? No, I don't think so. I bet you it's where it is. Maybe, okay, maybe. Uh, two years ago, a police officer in a Brooklyn precinct became gravely concerned about how the public was being served. To document his concerns, he began carrying around a digital sound recorder, secretly recording his colleagues and and superiors. He recorded precinct roll calls. He recorded his precinct commander and other supervisors. He recorded street encounters. He recorded small small talk and station house banter. In all, he surreptitiously collected hundreds of hours of cops talking about their jobs. Made without the knowledge or approval of the NYPD, the tapes made between June 1st, 2008 and October 31st, 2009, in the 81st Precinct in Bedford, yep, Bedford Stuyvesant. Stuyvesant, I believe. Stuyvesant, yep. How did you know that? I don't know. I could still have it wrong. You're smart. If you're if you're from there and you're listening, let us know. Mm-hmm. Spell it phonetically in the email. Yep. <laughs> I used to hear about it on TV all the time. Okay. Uh, and obtained exclusively by The Voice, provide an unprecedented portrait of what it's like to work as a cop in the city. Uh, that's again Village Voice uh-huh. reporting. They reveal that the precinct boss threatens street the, that precinct bosses threaten street cops if they don't make their quota of arrests and stop and frisks, but also tell them not to make certain robbery reports in order to manipulate crime statistics. Uh, tapes also refer to command officers calling crime victims directly to intimidate them about their complaints, uh, and as a result, the tapes show. The cops' rank-and-file NYPD street cop experiences enormous pressure in a strange catch-22. He or she is expected to maintain high, quote-unquote, activity, including stop-and-frisks, 
but paradoxically to report fewer actual crimes. Okay. So what do you make of that story? How would you? I would say that that's sort of a natural fallout of what's going on at the higher levels of the of government, which is really sort of why I read it. You know, you've got Eric Holder saying, well, you know, I mean, we've got like, uh, we've got to get rid of people's Miranda rights. And here they're saying, you need to make more arrests, but they have to be good arrests. And we don't need to report them as much, which just sort of goes in with, mm. with all the other stuff we're seeing, um, this culture of, you know, sort of fibbing, mm-hmm. uh, putting it putting it mildly, you yeah. know, like we like yeah. a story I read a few few months ago. Ice yeah. and economic pressures will make us uh, compromise even more. Mm-hmm. Is uh, it time? Yes. Yeah, okay, because I really had a lot more to add to that. But I'm sorry, time. Merv. You need to come in and tell our listeners how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. You got about seven seconds if you want to. Wasted it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, come back next week. We have got a fantastic show you'll never forget uh, next week. Mm-hmm. But until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake.